Hello everyone, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. I am Jeremy Graves, and joining me, as we are now arriving at the conclusion of our planned journey through Transformers Generation 1, my good friend Mr. Andy Hanley. Mate, we've made it! What the heck? Yeah, I, I am reborn. I mean, actually, I'm not reborn. I'm really tired, but it's it's okay. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I, I think I said right at the start of this podcast that, like, I was sort of... I'd been wanting to do this for such a long time to, like, watch all of G1 Transformers and not just bits of it and the bits that I really liked. Um, and even... I, I'd had, like, abortive attempts to do that in the past, like, doing it solo, like, which would normally mean I'd get to the end of season one and then would just, like, forget or get busy. Um, so I feel... I feel genuinely accomplished that I've managed to watch all of it and we've made it all the way through to the end. And it's actually been more fun than I thought it might have been, to be fair. Yeah, it's it's very interesting now that we're very much at the end of this planned journey of ours, how it has been a lot of fun. But I remember when we were, I mean, we talked about this, I'm sure, numerous times before now, leading up to this final episode of the podcast. More on that at the end, folks. It may not be the end, but we'll, we'll come to that, as it were. But when it comes to this journey, I know for season two, we were a bit weary as to where some of it may go. But even in season two, realistically, it was only a couple of really dodgy episodes. On the whole, it was all right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, likewise, kind of season three, you know, that's the studio change is kind of jarring, but actually there are fewer episodes that ACOM directly handled than I thought there would be. So like even that was kind of a few, you know, animation duds. But uh, but yeah, like I, I, I expected it to be like season one would be glittering or wonderful and season two and three would be a slog with a few highlights. But actually there's a lot of, of good episodes and decent fun episodes um and so yeah like it's as as a as an entire body of work like i think it actually stands up shockingly well i agree and in terms of the body of work standing up well will what we are talking about that being the conclusion of generation one in in the english speaking world anyway again we'll come back to that a bit later and such but we are talking about all andy of season four in one episode is it a marathon some might say it is but in this case it's only three episodes that is the rebirth trilogy or as i called it at the end of the last podcast the headmasters trilogy <laughs> yeah which you know is fair because it's kind of all about all about them headmasters so uh so so yeah it's 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 a weird thing for me as well because like I feel like I maybe only watched these episodes once. I feel like these are Likewise. maybe a I rented the VHS when that came out and watched it, and then that was it. Um, but actually, like I have a real genuine fondness for the the headmasters as like I guess as characters and as a toy range. Like this was this was definitely like the last real generation of Transformers toys that I was super into as a kid like I mean kind of like extending through to like the, the the Power Masters and the Target Masters but like that whole range was pretty cool like I feel like it was sort of it was almost came at the perfect time where it's like well okay like what else can they do with the concept of Transformers other than just make more cool robots and it's like oh okay now they can have other little robots that are the heads or the guns or the engines um, and yeah, like some of the headmasters in particular were like some of my favorite like character designs and toys um, from kind of, you know, late in that run. Um, and so I think I, I'm not sure it's a bit chicken and egg for me because I feel like 
the general kind of narrative of like how the headmasters come about is quite interesting and compelling and like the the comics do a very similar job to the episodes we're about to talk talk about like there's there's kind of a different spin on it in some ways but like the core of it is basically pretty similar um and so kind of i always liked it as a as a high concept as well i think um but uh but yeah there, there were some, some some very cool toys that, that i i really liked as well so sort of get, getting to revisit those characters is, is always a good time for me as well from my perspective i I've definitely seen the rebirth before, but it's not, it's probably for a very long time. So there were little details I vaguely remembered, but there's a lot in these three episodes I had totally forgotten about. And also, like you've alluded to, some really cool concepts, which when you think this is the end of it from an English language point of view, in some ways it's a real shame. In some ways you do wonder where the heck were they, would they have gone next based on this being the opening, which I'm sure we'll come onto that once we get to the end of episode three and such. But it is just a, it is fascinating watching this with 2022 eyes, knowing that it's ended, again, knowing where the toys went to and such, and also basically how at this point Transformers has had a massive resurgence from a retro point of view as well, let alone what is still happening in the current day with the various animated series, be them CG, sort of CG and whatnot. It, it, it's very interesting watching these three episodes in 2022-based eyes. Mm. Yeah, and uh, the, the crazy thing about this as well is, like, I feel like there's almost a point at the end of the third episode where you're like, okay, this would actually be a pretty solid just end point for the cartoon. Like, th this is quite a good send off, and and then Galvatron opens his big mouth and is like, yeah, I'm gonna go and conquer the galaxy again, and it's yep. like, well, n now you've you've clearly like laid the seed for what would have been. A, a full-blown season four which never was um but there there isn't certainly an argument to be made of like yeah this is you know this is actually quite a good sign-off point for the most part like it's sort of you know it 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 doesn't have any sort of complete finality to it but it has i don't know it has just enough of a kind of satisfying resolution to everything going on to be like yeah that would be that would be an okay place to leave things although i like ironically at the same time you know, you look at some of those characters and concepts, it's like, yeah, I'd like, also like to see you do a bunch of more more stuff, like exploring this and see what you can do with it. Before we go any further, everybody, before we dive into the episodes proper, appreciating this is kind of, in a way, the final podcast, but like I say, stick around to the end. We've got some info on what's going to come next, because at least give you another one or two of these, let's just say. But just to kind of do some quick housekeeping, if you are, if you are a first-time listener, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us at the end of this journey. We really appreciate it. Feel free to go back into our vast archive at this point of all of the episodes of Transformers from the beginning of Season 1 right through to here at Season 4. The podcast is on the likes of Apple, Spotify, Google... SoundCloud, you name it, we have done our best to make the podcast available on all those platforms for you. There is also another place you can get the podcast, that being on our Patreon page, which is a free audio archive, we should say. You do not have to pay any money to get extra content, if you will. It is literally just a place to have a free long-term archive of the podcast. If you want to find that, the URL is patreon.com slash ghost. And speaking of another way to in enjoy the podcast, there is a video version of this podcast and every single episode of the podcast that we have recorded. Simply go on YouTube, search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, 
you should find our channel just fine. And you can watch Andy and I discuss all of these episodes and the movie. Let's not forget that. A very pivotal point in the podcast chronology at this point as well. Speaking of video, each of the episodes that we watch on each and every one of these podcasts, we have been watching on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. They've got all the episodes of the G1 continuity there, the American G1 continuity, I should highlight, completely free, legitimately, so you can watch them as we go from there, including the three episodes we are discussing today, that being The Rebirth, Parts 1, 2, and 3. Andy, before we delve into all of Season 4 today, any additional notes or any other random housekeeping bits you want to make known before we we delve into it proper? No, no, I think let's, uh, let's get into it. So, we advance to Season 4, Episode 1, The Rebirth, Part 1. First of all, Andy, brand new title sequence. A blend of some really, really, really great-looking action, in my opinion, mixed in with a few familiar moments from the Season 3 intro, along with the Season 3 intro music. But I thought this intro sequence looked so damn good. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, given that they've sort of, you know, had to sort of cobble this together somewhat, this is clearly not a full-blown, like, you know, animate a new intro like, you know, previous seasons. Um, it's, yeah, they... they, they, they found some good footage for it and yeah much as you know there's that child like kind of oh like is it gonna have a new song and like i already knew it wasn't gonna have a new song but it's kind of you know a a shame that it doesn't but yeah it's it's a good good solid set of titles good good at selling you on what you're about to see you could also say very good at selling you some new toys but more on that later (laughs) (laughs) we begin with goldbug talking to the technobots at Autobot City. Things have been quiet for the Autobots in the month since the return of Optimus Prime 2-parter at the end of Season 3, and since the whole hate plague crisis that occurred. Not a word has been heard of from the Decepticons in months, and that's based on dialogue directly from Goldbug. Who knows where they are? The answer is, Andy, coming towards Autobot City, because suddenly Scattershot picks up what he proclaims there to be around 100 Decepticons on radar. Pop quiz, Andy. Name all 100 Decepticons. <laughs> so Galvatron. Um, for about 90 sweeps. There you go. Absolutely <laughs> fair. Because that's the thing. It's like, are there even 100 Decepticons anymore? It's like, oh, I guess there's the sweeps. There's probably like counts for the vast majority of them. So, <laughs> fine. Meanwhile, Ultra Magnus walks into a room and sees Optimus Prime down on his knees, clutching his head. The first thing I'm thinking of is, Andy, he's been back two months. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, but you can't die again. Jesus Christ. So <laughs> like, please, we can't do this again now. And I mean, ironically, there was a point of this as well for me of just like, do they do like the Power Master Prime thing here? But no, like, no, this is not, this is not like an intro to, to Power Master Prime at this exact, uh, exact moment in time. <laughs> so with that happening, it leads to the following dialogue exchange. Optimus Prime saying, Ever since I released the energy of the Matrix, I've had these overwhelming feelings that something's going to happen. Something big. Magnus then responds with, A Decepticon attack? Prime responding with, Bigger than that. Something unbelievable. Goldbug then radios into the room and informs Optimus Prime that the Decepticon force is approaching, including, quote-unquote, Every Decepticon in the known universe. 
So this keeps escalating a bit more, Andy, each time. <laughs> and we're, yeah, only, yeah. we're only a minute in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, this feels like a very, like, Shades of the Movie moment as well, of just, like, massive assault on Autobot City, and then it's like, oh, well, that that ended well for everybody last time, so <laughs> it'd be interesting to see how this turns out. Optimus, at this point, realises that whatever he has been sensing, it's likely starting right now. Leading the Autobots out of Autobot City, the Decepticons arrive, arrive excuse me, and the attack begins. The Technobots and the Throttlebots take point, but the Decepticons have gotten some new raw power in Apeface and Snapdragon. I'm just going to say this now, everyone. There's a lot of new Transformers that debut in these episodes. We may not necessarily delve into all of them in great detail, but just take them as you will. Because, Andy, if I mentioned on a previous episode... It might have been during the, the Optimus Prime 2 part when they did the name call for a bunch of them. This is how you sell the toys this week. On this on this occasion, this is how they sell the toys this week. Just name check a bunch of new Transformers and show them front and centre. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of... It's that typical thing that this series does from time to time. Of like, no no origin stories for you. You've just turned up. No idea where you were up to this point. But, but here you are on the front lines. Now, there's another one I want to make note of because Mindwipe makes a debut, who is basically like a giant bat, and it's not Rat Bat, which I was very confused at, but just looks really, really cool as a Transformer. And for some reason, sounds at points when saying dialogue, either like Dracula or a Scottish Dracula. It depends on which line of dialogue it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think canonically Rat Bat is not Scottish, um, but I, a mind wipe rather is not Scottish. Rat Bat also not Scottish. Not sure there are any Scottish Transformers, as it turns out. Um, Boo. I mean, out, Outback's Australian, <laughs> so, you know, it's not within the realms of impossibility. But yeah, my, I mean, th again, this this is my thing of like, the Headmasters had a lot of really cool designs, and like, yeah, like mind wipe is up there with them. We'll get some of the others later, but he was... He was definitely one of those, like, never actually saw the toy in the wild in, you know, the, the confines of the south of England where I lived, but always kind of hoped that I might because he was he was pretty, pretty cool. And to add to the coolness factor, we get introduced to the abilities of Mindwipe, which is the fact that Mindwipe can take control of the circuits inside a Transformer. And so what he does is have some fun with light speed, if you will. And just basically makes him reverse off a cliff. Great yeah. little moment there. Great debut. Yeah. Finally, Bumblebee has an excuse for all those ravines he fell down in season one. Like, oh, it must have been mind wiped just in the background somewhere. <laughs> it def definitely. It's like one of those shows when they go back like in a later movie and they go, oh no, that's been there the whole time. And you're like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just retcon. Yeah. It was, it was always mind wiped sending Bumblebee into those ravines. <laughs> now... One Autobot, whose name I didn't get actually, then came out with a line at this point of, How we? Now this is what I call a battle. And then Goldbug, Goldbug excuse me, responds by saying, This is what I call getting slaughtered. Because at this point, the Autobots are getting mullered, it should be said. However, Punch, another new Transformer, sees Wingspan and Pounce entering Autobot City. And now, we don't, we've never seen Punch before, and I was not aware at all before this what Punch's ability was. It's called Transforming into Counter-Punch, and effectively being a double agent Transformer, which is one of the coolest ideas I think we've seen this entire run, Andy. What a great concept. 
Yeah, I had forgotten about punch slash counter punch. Um, and yeah, I was very excited to see that. Again, th this is one of those like, oh man, I wish there was a full-blown season four moments because you could have some really great episodes of just fo following him because yeah, he, he, he doesn't turn into a bowl of alcohol as his thing. Like that's not, that's not, that's not his, not his gimmick. Um, but yeah, like that's a really cool, that's, that's a, a really cool thing. Like again, I don't, I don't remember whether, like, I'm pretty sure the toy did get released of that, but I think that was maybe, like, only came out in America or something, because, yeah, it was a, a cool idea. Like, I don't, I feel like even the comics never really used him much, maybe because he's just, like, too easy to use as just a double agent, but I feel like he wasn't ever around all that much, which was a shame, because, yeah, like you say, really awesome idea. And the first thing that we see Punch do is transform into Counter Punch because he follows the two Decepticons I name-checked on their progress as to what the heck they're doing. He sees them stealing something from inside a vault. And then we get the first proper introduction of how this ability could really be utilised long-term, should the season have carried on, telling the Decepticons to be on alert for his Autobot counterpart before then kind of walking past the doorway, staying just out of sight, transforming into punch and effectively doing an equivalent line of so something like as counter punch he went ah keep an eye out for my autobot counterpart he could be here any moment walked past the door transforms here i am boom 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 <laughs> yeah I, Just, I mean this this is kind of it's it feels like a particularly like weak version of the like clark kent superman thing yeah. of like you know you'd have thought even in this very short time frame somebody might have joined the dots here especially given the names of the two respective transformers but somehow <laughs> everyone's just like completely oblivious to the fact that maybe they're the same person now this being said Wingspan and Pounce, who are effectively clones, I believe, Andy. Like they're, they're very, very similar, and they have yeah. sort of, they, but they have differing abilities that kind of complement each other, if you will. Those two clones, as it's sort of described on the TF Wiki, they managed to actually just defeat Punch very quickly in a two-on-one beatdown. So that lasted long. Another example of how to introduce another really cool Transformer and just instantly make you go, oh. Yeah, yeah, it's sad, sad times, but hey, they've got a lot. They've got a lot of robots to get through. So, exactly. So, what were those two transformers trying to steal? Now, the two twins say it's the key, and unlike the key to Vector Sigma Andy, which at least vaguely looked like a key, this was basically just a giant oversized end, like end bit that you put on a power drill effectively. The actual note I've written down here is it's an oversized version of the drill key from the anime Gurren Lagann. Yeah, yeah, there is there is definitely. I mean, again, we can maybe say, like, Transformers invented Gurren Lagann as well. <laughs> add that to the list. But yeah, it, it's not a particularly key-like key. But hey, like, what what is this now? 2007, 2008? So I guess keys, keys were different in that era. Yeah, at that point they had, like, just, you know, what is it, like, contactless keys type thing like you get in a hotel now. Yeah, yeah. RFID, exactly. there you go. That's the thing I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> so having claimed what they wanted, Galvatron this time doesn't order a retreat, but effectively says, we're done here. Let's go back to the mothership. <laughs> Which I'm thinking, oh, you've got up market, Galvatron. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, though, Optimus realizes that this was a diversion of some kind. Runs into Autobot City and finds Punch, kind of Punch drunk in essence, inside the vault <laughs> and horrified optimus orders everyone to board ships 
and immediately head for Cybertron, which is where Galvatron is heading. So that is kind of an opening scene, if you will, Andy, an opening sequence. A really strong start, in my opinion. It showed a heck of a lot of new Transformers to get you excited for what could be to come next. Again, if this was going to be more than three episodes. Really fun, like you said, almost a big climactic battle. This is going to be serious. Really, really setting the table for what is to come, I feel. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's a good solid kind of, you know, bit of bit of action, like you say, a bunch of character introductions. We've set up something's up with Optimus Prime, which is, is you know, always always foreboding. The whole key thing, you know, is is it's a good it's a good thing for everybody to chase around for a bit. So it's, you know, the the classic kind of, you know, cartoon MacGuffin basically. Um or, or, or Chekhov's gun, I guess, more more like che- Chekhov's key. Um but um yeah, it's it, it's a really good setup and yeah, like again, even just some of the brief intros of characters we get are just like, Oh, cool, I hope we get to see some more of these guys. Um, which sometimes yes, sometimes no. <laughs> we now go to Cybertron, where Blur is racing Hot Rod. And before I go any further, Andy, I need to say, in all the notes I'm going to make in these episodes when I'm referencing Hot Rod, it was really hard in all my note-taking now to not write Rodimus. Yeah, it's, it's sort of yeah weird that, you know, it, that... That is just like the accepted thing here. Like, no, no more Optimus Prime. Like, you know, not not even like part time. They they don't do like shifts or something. It's just <laughs> like, you know, it's just hot rod all the time. You know, you'd, you'd think that they could maybe, you know, they could maybe just interchange a bit. Like when you've got two people on that level, you could just, you know, let let Optimus have a weekend off or something. But no, apparently not. Now Blur is racing Hot Rod, who has Daniel riding inside in car form. Blur loses control in this race, and at this point, it allows Daniel to shoot several Decepticon targets, mainly Cyclonus cardboard cutouts, if you will, and the, t- the-, the key to all this being, it was a team effort to them being successful. Now, aside from this being a really fun race just to begin proceedings, it's also proving to be some kind of training method, if you will. And what is the ultimate purpose of this? We find out that Brainstorm is claiming that this is evidence to his theory that human partners would be able to assist the Autobots to winning the war with the Decepticons. Hardhead and Cerebros, I hope I pronounced that last one right, are unsure of the idea, Cerebros more so, because he says something to the effect of, we're always fighting, must you drag humans into this too? Which, fair point, it's got to be said. (laughs) However, Optimus then contacts the Autobots, telling them that Galvatron stole the key to the plasma chamber. Sorry, the plasma energy chamber, excuse me. Prime explains, quote-unquote, The plasma energy chamber is the foundry in which the original Autobots' bodies were forged millions of years ago. Since then, every Autobot later has been charged with guarding the key with his life. Whatever happens, don't let them open it. End quote. I feel the need to say, Andy, considering he needed to explain that in such detail and all of them were shocked about this, no one knew they had to guard this key with their life. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing <laughs> seems like it's, you know, perhaps not the, the, the best uh, the best bit of, of management because, yeah, like, I mean, A, not particularly well defended as the, like, the Decepticons must never have this kind of thing. And, yeah, like, half of them didn't even know they had to be defending it. Um, and plus, also, you know, opens up a lot of, 
continuity questions about like well if this key's really important like what about all the autobots that you created without using this chamber at all like is it is it is it really that good is all i'm asking do, do the aerial bots count like do, is that not in their contract <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's yeah exactly i mean there, there have been so many of these transforms I mean, who, who even knows where like brainstorm etc were, were created i mean they've just sort of appeared so you know it's hard to it's hard to know where they've they've come from you know what the funny part is you just mentioning that it's a little bit of a tangent but i want to run with it for a second there is a part that with the amount of transformers they introduce i sometimes do wonder did they appear at the end of season three and i just didn't notice or I just didn't note-take it. Sometimes I'm just genuinely thinking, no, I'm pretty sure you're brand new, but I'm not 100% certain because my brain is a bit like mush to how many different characters we've been introduced to. Yeah, no, no, all of, all of these guys are, are all new. And you, you, can, you can always, like, brainstorm doing his whole thing about, like, you know, oh, you know, maybe we could combine, like, humans and, and Transformers. You can always hear, like... Perceptor in his retirement being like, this could have been me, damn it. Like, <laughs> I, I, this was my job to be the smart science guy, and now this upstart has come in taking my job. <laughs> I mean, that's another reason I said that is because we were getting like new combiner teams introduced, what, three or four episodes before the end of season three? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, for, for sure. It was late in the day. Suffice to say, Galvatron is intending to open the chamber and in turn destroy Cybertron. So Galvatron's MO has not changed. Rather than just taking Cybertron back, still wants to destroy it. Some things don't change. Yeah. Also kind of weird because it's like, if this is some like chamber of creation, it's like, could you not make a massive army to just like occupy the planet instead of just blowing it up? I mean, again, I realise that would actually be out of character for Galvatron, so maybe I shouldn't <laughs> overthink it, but it's like, this just seems like, I mean, given that, also given that they've been stuck on such a god-awful planet, like they've been stuck on Char for all of season three, like you'd have thought that they'd be like, maybe we should just try and take it back and not blow it up. Like, wouldn't it be nice to have a nice planet to live on again, Galvatron? Mighty Galvatron, we've all decided we want a better place to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we're going on strike. It's what, what all the cool kids are doing. <laughs> now, the Decepticons have arrived and chaos ensues. The aerial bots are quickly taken down by Six Shot, who shows off all six forms. And no doubt, Andy, I my first thought was, I'm imagining children watching this scene. And immediately after this, this little sequence of battle has finished, every single child, one, has totally lost their mind that this is even possible. And two, they've all now just gone to their parents going, Mum, buy me a sick shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I wonder if uh, if he ever, like, did that well. Because, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it's definitely... This definitely felt like a very mandated by Hasbro scene. Because, like... Not really a whole lot of six shot apart from this moment where it's like, look, you have to have this character in, you have to show all six of his modes, um, no pressure, but you've got to, that's got to happen in this specific episode. Um, and yeah, that, that gets kind of checked off the list quite handily. But hey, a great advert. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, well, you know, we, we've had Transformers, we've had triple changes. Like, what if it was that, but doubles? What if they could transform into <laughs> six different things, even if some of them are kind of a bit rubbish? <laughs> hey, you can have a ground cannon, 
a different ground cannon, a yeah. plane. It's like, oh, that escalated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. Like, it was never really that cool looking as a toy. It was very much sold on the premise of, like, but six things. It can transform into six things. And you know what, Andy? It worked. I wanted one. (laughs) During the onslaught we've just been mentioning, Cup and Hot Rod's team of people notice that Scourge is separate from everyone else and heads through, in essence, a manhole cover, which I'm like, all right, Cybertron, you've got to work on this. Seriously. This turns out to be an entrance towards the plasma energy chamber. They now pursue him by boarding a ship, flying through a giant tunnel... 12 levels below ground, it turns out, in an attempt to stop him. We come to see that the plasma energy chamber is in essence a giant cavern with a central domed hub right in the middle of it. When Scourge tries to open the changer, uh, the chamber, excuse me, he is nearly killed from it because of a power overload. Clay didn't have the service manual there. Yeah. Also, if if he had, like, Scourge gets overloaded by some, like, some kind of power that he's (laughs) unaware of on your bingo card, then... Because that's that's what, like, (laughs) twice in a pretty short period of time that Scourge has had a bad time with unforeseen powers. It is weird, actually, how kind of towards the end of Season 3, Scourge has suddenly become a bit... And into this, obviously, Scourge has become just a bit more prominent. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, he is sort of like the thundercracker of this whole sort of outfit. And, yeah, like, he gets a surprising amount of play. Like, I I wonder whether they just, like, really liked his voice actor or something. It's like, no, we'll do do some more stuff with you. Maybe they just really liked his beard. I mean, (laughs) to transform more with a beard, we've got to sell more toys. Yeah, exactly. At this point, Spike and Cerebros manage to decipher the ancient Cybertronian text that's on the control panel that Scourge activated and grab the key. The Autobot ship, though, is also hit by a huge wave from the plasma energy chamber. And it's in essence just supercharged the thrusters of the ship and it's locked them at full power. So they're able to fly back to the surface, breaking through a bunch of the, the, the quote-unquote concrete of Cybertron. I don't know if it's concrete, just go with it. And then they just keep going up into the atmosphere and are off of Cybertron, going to who knows where. At this point, we see that the other Decepticons have now made it to the chamber, and they discover the key is gone. Galvatron, of course, is annoyed, and immediately is blaming what at this point is a lifeless scourge for this. Leading to the following dialogue exchange. Galvatron. You miserable pile of junk. I ought to have you stamped down into tinfoil for losing it. That being the key he's talking about. Cyclonus then saying, Remember, tinfoil can't talk. Scourge may be able to tell us what happened to it. (laughs) This is is where they cut away to the Decepticon that transforms into tinfoil. And it's like, excuse me. (laughs) I'm perfectly capable of talking. The reactivated Scourge then explains what happened, leading to this dialogue exchange. Scourge saying, The Autobots took the key. Galvatron saying, So you let the Autobots beat you? (laughs) This is where this conversation's going, everyone. Scourge then responds with, I let nobody beat me. It was the energy from that blasted chamber. It overloaded me, then hit the ship. That plasma energy's lethal. It nearly killed me. If on your bingo card you had the word killed being used, it's been used at least twice or three times in this episode at this point, so you can check it off if you haven't already. 
Scourge is then tasked with a team of Decepticons, including Cyclonus, to head out and find where the Autobots have gone to, get the key back, and be rid of said Autobots. Just to pause for a second there, Andy, before we move on to the next section. Again, I'm really liking the way that this is escalating. This whole sequence on Cybertron has been really interesting. We're finding out that there's, like, another really crucial part of Cybertron we somehow aren't aware of, as are many of the Autobots. This seems to be a recurring theme in all these seasons we've done. But just good fun, and it's upping the ante, which is something I love every single time. Yeah, yeah, and again, making good use of the kind of, like galaxy-faring nature of sort of, like, post-movie content as well, because, you know, we've again got shuttles, you know, bouncing around in space and stuff, and I know there's something always quite cool about that, like, the whole engine overload, like, you know, nobody really knows where the Autobots are going, including themselves, is kind of, is is quite a smart angle, because it, it felt like very much a kind of the writers being like, well, how, how do we... <laughs> There's this this bit from Hasbro that says we ha- have to end up on this very specific planet. Uh, how do we get anybody there with this storyline? And it's like, I know, <laughs> overloading shuttle. Um, and there we are. I mean, I would have liked to have seen the warp gate come back, you know. Yeah, yeah, who, who knows what happened to the warp gates. <laughs> actually, I mean, that being said, actually, this isn't a spoiler or anything for what we're going to be talking about, but it's just occurred to me, we never saw the Quintessons in these episodes. Yeah, you'd have thought, I mean, maybe they just, they're probably just fed up by this point, because they'd had so many, like, nefarious plans that had gone wrong, they're just like, oh, just leave the Transformers to do whatever, like, we just can't be, we can't be bothered with those guys anymore. <laughs> it's like, can we just find someone else, please? Yeah. We like were doing got... so well before we tried to get Cybertron back. Yeah, like, we've got a bunch of Shark's Con slaves. Yeah, I mean, you think, right, before, like, you know, when we, we visit them in the movie, they've got their own planet, they've got their own justice system, it's all going very swimmingly, and then the Transformers rock up and it all kind of goes downhill from there. So, yeah, you can imagine they'd be like, can we just retire somewhere now? Like, this is, this is getting boring. <laughs> Back to the story. The Autobot ship, we see crash land on a planet, effectively landing in an ocean and then just ending up on the shore nearby. Then there being an almighty explosion, which I thought meant that the ship had been destroyed, Andy, but seemingly it's only the engines that were fried. There's a bit of a difference in scale for that explosion there, but I will let that slide. Yeah, I mean, hey, this 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 is a series where we saw Devastator blown to a million pieces, like in season <laughs> three. I mean, I did I did also like the dialogue around that crash landing, where I, I don't know who it was that said prepare for crash landing, and somebody just like their comeback is like how by thinking good thoughts. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a good line. A very good line. So the Autobots and the Witwickies, because we have both Spike and Daniel on this planet, it should be said, decide to try and look for civilization to help them. They are soon spotted by two inhabitants on the planet that we come to find out is called Nebulos, and the two inhabitants in question are named Duros and Pinpointer. Didn't have that on your bingo card, so I can't have that, sorry. <laughs> now, key detail, those two Nebulosians, I can't think of the right word, ne- the two inhabitants... In- in- I think ne- Nebulons is what Thank you, Nebulosians, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Nebulons. They immediately assume that the Autobots are being controlled by the Hive and go to alert, alert the rest of their resistance group. Then, Andy, for the first time in what feels like a blooming long time, because you know, we've got Optimus Prime back now, and then we need some other things to return, like Hot Rod, now it's time for story time with Cup. 
Which yeah. includes the following dialogue exchange. Cup. You know, this reminds you of the time my platoon was stranded on Regulon 4. There we were, only 700 of us against three Regulon metal mongers. Hot Rod then says, 700 of you? Against three? Oh, come on, Cup. Cup then says, you ever seen a Regulon metal monger, lad? Hot Rod goes, uh, no. Cup concludes by saying, trust me. We were outnumbered. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, a very good anecdote. I'm surprised season three was so like threadbare for like cup war stories because they're 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 always they're always good and you can tell the writers always have a good time with them. So yeah, I much much approve of the return of the cup war story. The Autobots then come across a group of the local inhabitants, but the group soon captures them by using in essence that sort of giant energy chains being fired from guns. Spike is apoplectic <laughs> with what has just happened. The fact that they've been captured, especially when this is their first introduction to them, and they've got no clue what on earth is going on. But what is abundantly clear is that the likes of, what were their names, sorry, uh, Duros and Pinpointer and all of their crew, they've got a massive problem with machines specifically. An all-encompassing term in this instance, from whatever the hive is. They've done a number on them, clearly. They're all then taken to a cave, and the inhabitants plan to destroy the Autobots with magnetic bombs, even though Spike is trying to talk them down. Which then also leads to the following dialogue exchange while the Autobots are chained up Andy. Hot Rod saying, This is crazy! Don't they know who we are? And then Cup saying, Maybe we should get a new PR man. Yeah. <laughs> Another good line. However, the Decepticons now show up. Spike, at this point, finally manages to convince the Nebulons to release the Autobots. And in the subsequent battle, Daniel is injured by Snapdragon. He tried to help RC escape and whatnot, but instead himself got thrown to the ground just like a piece of clay. And Hot Rod, Cup, Blur, Crosshairs, Point Break, and Sure Shot, according to the TF Wiki, thank you guys, are taken captive. Some of the Autobots try to pursue them through a forest, but they are quickly driven off by machines, seemingly hive machines, which are sort of like, in essence, tanks with like big claw arms. That's kind of one way to describe it. Back at the cave, Arcana and Firebolt, two more of the local inhabitants, manage to stabilize Daniel's condition, but they say that the boy will have to be connected to life support machinery to survive. Then... We get some backstory as to who the Hive actually are. The Nebulan leader, Gort, explains the following. Quote, The machines maintain the environment of Nebulos, except for out here. They never come out here. Quote, To give some more context, we the viewer can see that they're in essence in sort of like deserted caves, a bit of a desert. You know, typical land-based Transformers locations and whatnot. And that's where they're currently hiding. He continues... Quote, but the machines are also enforcers. Enforcers for the hive. Quote. At this point, we the viewer are seeing flashbacks to some locals basically being forcibly put into a cell for simply Andy having a chat. That's what happened. I'm just saying what I saw. Continuing, quote, for here on Nebulos, for here on Nebulos, excuse me, it's the people who serve the machines. And the machines serve the hive. 
ten leaders, and their supreme ruler, Zarak, living far underground. They've developed metal power to the point where they can control machines with their very thoughts. But their bodies have weakened and are totally useless. The machines are the hive's eyes, ears, and fists. And at this point, we, the viewer, then see the machines basically just attacking a bunch of other local inhabitants that are their slaves. Continuing on, quote, We Nebulons discovered what the hive was, and we've been fighting them ever since, quote. We then come to find out through more dialogue that the Resistance members now know the weak points of the machines, but they just don't have the firepower to take them out. Spike now thinks that Brainstorm's idea from earlier in the episode of there being organic partners for the Transformers might just be the ticket. The Autobots agree to allow, to allow excuse me, the Nebulons to use their heads as exosuits. You heard that right, everyone. If you've not seen this before, I'm literally saying what happened. That said, everyone, Andy, except for Cerebros, who walks out because he's tired of fighting and is standing for what he believes in. Quote-unquote, he says, My one wish is to never fight again. Highbrow's thoughts on having some mods done to him is, quote-unquote, I suppose it's the only meretricious way out of our meriti- What's the word, Andy? (laughs) Meretricious. Thank you. Meretricious situation. I'm leaving that in the edit. I don't care. (laughs) Hardhead thoughts. I, I wonder. I wonder how many takes like Highbrow's voice actor had doing that as well. There's probably a whole. May, maybe if if we check out like the the season four DVD, there'll be a whole outtakes reel of, of that VA trying to to do that line. And Hardhead then invoking exactly what I was thinking by saying in response to that quote unquote, "Yeah, me too." Like he said, <laughs> <laughs> that right there, the perfect encapsulation of that. Everybody. For sure. We also hear through dialogue that. To protect the Autobots from losing their memories when their heads are detached, they need to, quote-unquote, download into the auxiliary... I'm not doing well today. Auxiliary memory circuit in your chest, according to Brainstorm. So we now know, Andy, that the Autobots have got some extra RAM. Yeah, so this is this is also like a really weird little um, nod to the actual Headmaster toys because one of the cool things that they did is when you plugged their heads into their bodies, their tech specs would turn up on their chest. Oh, so that's they, cool. They had a little chest plate you could pull down and they'd have like, I think it was like strength, intelligence and something else and there'd be little bars that would be like at zero and when you plugged their head in it would go up to the level that was on their tech specs. Um, that's cool. Yeah, which was a neat little gimmick. Like, that's kind of, like, almost... I mean, they had the little kind of rub sign things as well, but that that was the other little gimmick of those toys that was, yeah, kind of like... And it was it made a really satisfying sound when you plugged their heads in as well because it kind of connected <laughs> with that. It wasn't just, like, a kind of clank it was on. There was a very definite connection of, like, head connecting to uh, to body that was, was very satisfying. Let's try and find one of those now because I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> RC asks to be Daniel's partner, and Spike 100% agrees with this. As the Autobots remove their heads, the episodes conclude with Spike saying, quote-unquote, Autobots, you are about to become Headmasters. 
<laughs> yes, they they said the thing. <laughs> also, Andy should be not to be confused. Not of a school, a headmaster. It should be said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're sending you all out to like grammar schools across the nation to look after them. It's, it's, that 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 was maybe that's why they cancelled the full season four. They were just all going to be teachers, and it's like, well, you know, we, we can't compete with Grain Shell. Come on. <laughs> Could be the equivalent of like an OVA in an anime when they just have like the random beach episode. It's the random school episode of Transformers. Yeah, yeah, they're all they're all back to school now. And that concludes the first episode of the rebirth. In terms of setting up what's going on, Andy, not perfect. There are definitely some random, like random moments in this, but overall, very very strong start and very intriguing as well. It has to be said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to kind of like about this you know i i do think the whole through line of like you know the sort of human and or, or kind of you know flesh creature and kind of <laughs> transformer kind of like hybrid thing like it's a really interesting thing to explore it's a good through line that kind of you know passes over to the whole nebula stuff with like the hive and all of that so that's kind of a good interesting angle to go down yeah like you know lots of new characters to sort of get used to and again once you get to sort of nebulous and you've got that sort of core there of like the likes of highbrow and stuff you get to see a little bit more of them um which is is nice um this episode sort of weirdly sort of buries the lead of the fact that like daniel is you know practically dead at this point and it's, not the, first, really... it's not the first time that's happened in transformers <laughs> it's not but nobody seems particularly fussed about it really when you consider like even spikes just like oh well this kind of sucks and it's like you know this is your son you should maybe be a little bit more upset than this um and so, didn't yeah, that happen that... in a previous episode somewhere where like something happened to daniel or, or at least another it was actually in a return of Optimus prime wasn't it when um the, the 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 daughter's name whose name totally escapes me when she was crushed and her legs were basically made, were just, she was paralysed. The dad went mental! Yeah, yeah, but Spike's, I mean, maybe Spike was just thinking back to that. It's like, oh, well, that, that ended okay, so, you know, maybe it's not, <laughs> it's not so bad. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's also, it's also a weird, like, cartoon-specific angle of, like, him becoming the head of RC, because, like, mm. there wasn't an RC Headmasters toy so that was, was they're not okay. no no like it was she was not in the range i mean there was not an rc toy like in g1 at all i don't think i think that like much like unicron i don't think any designs ever passed muster so i mean whether there was maybe a plan to like make her a headmaster version or whether this is just like a cartoon continuity of like we, we want to half kill daniel how can we do it i don't know um but uh, but yeah so that's kind of like an interesting little little bit as well um but yeah like it's, it's a good it's a good setup um and yeah like there's it, it leaves a lot on the table for the second episode as well it's like a kind of there's a lot you want to see in terms of like okay well you know this is there's there's a lot still to happen here um you know we've got the whole hive thing and the their controlling bodies like we've we've seen some pretty cool Decepticons in the opening credits. When are they going to turn up? And yeah, you, you have all of that going on. So yeah, it's a good, it's a pretty good starting point. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't realize there was never actually an RC headmaster properly. And yeah, it, we'll get onto like the RC and Daniel relationship. Cause there's some interesting things regarding that, especially towards the end, which raises some other questions about what's going on with the Witwickies in their, in their annual, in their annual seasonal, which Witwicky nearly dies this time. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of amazing that they hang around because yeah, they do not they do not really have the best of the best of times. But hey, I mean, I guess they're getting to like hang out in space a lot, so you know, swings and roundabouts. And as we mentioned out to the TF Wiki, just to get a few trivia notes regarding this, the, the first thing I actually do want to point out, which was something I was going to say at the beginning, but I thought I'd save it for here, is I like the fact we're actually getting an essence of continuity between the end of season three and this, because like we said, they highlight it's been months since they last saw the Decepticons out at Prime's back. So it's nice to know we've actually got like a tangible timeline as to how long it's been since Optimus Prime returned. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, much like kind of, you know, season three sort of did likewise, right, of sort of like the post-movie, like, you know, here's a sort of catch-up on what's happened and where where everything is at, and yeah, like it does, it could hand-wave that stuff away quite easily and just be like, ah, whatever, it doesn't matter, but it, it, it at least kind of attempts to, to keep that, keep that trucking. To the TF Wiki, almost two dozen Transformers make their debut in this episode. <laughs> As usual, there's no fuss over where they came from, they're just there. Similarly, quite a few familiar faces are gone with no explanation. Springer, Perceptor, Grimlock, The Sweeps, Skylinks, Blaster, Soundwave, Metroplex, Trypticon, just to name a few, are some of the ones that are gone. In real life terms, they were removed from the show to make room for new character toys, despite many of them making no further appearances in the remaining two episodes. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could argue, like, back back to our, our traditional, like, Metroplex versus Autobot City thing, that Metroplex kind of was in it, because Autobot City was, but... <laughs> <laughs> Following their abrupt debut in the Return of Optimus Prime 2-parter, the Throttlebots get a little bit more attention in this episode, though only Rollbar, making his first appearance, actually gets referenced by name. Chase is not shown speaking at any point, but it's fun to imagine the voice emanating from Autobot from the Autobot City loudspeaker, credited only as PA voice on the episode's casting sheet, that warns of a Decepticon attack. Warn, that warns of a Decepticon attack is him, and it is delivered by Rob Paulson, the actor cast for Chase. Oh, and uh, Rob Paulson as well has also like done loads of voices. Like I'm pretty mm. sure. From like Animaniacs to Darkwing Duck, G.I. Joe, Ninja Turtles. That's just me going off the top of my head. But like Rob Paulson's name in and of itself is someone very familiar, like with the voice acting landscape as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But most importantly, Chase in Transformers. The, <laughs> the, the role for which he is best remembered. No more pipes now, it's Chase. <laughs> While discussing the Headmaster's cartoon uh, creation procedure, excuse me, with Chrome Dome, Brainstorm mentions that it's possible for a Transformer to download their memories and personalities into the auxiliary memory circuits in their chests. Assuming that the aforementioned hardware is a standard feature in all Transformers, it might explain why death is just a wee bit inconsistent in fiction. <laughs> Not bad for a throwaway line. <laughs> <laughs> We are introduced to the Plasma Energy Chamber. In practice, the chamber acts less like a foundry, as it's described by Prime, and more like a generator gone wild. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Daniel getting injured and requiring a robotic body, or in this case, exosuit, as we'll come to find out in the next two episodes, uh, to survive is reminiscent of a somewhat similar incident involving his father that works out a lot better. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean that that is that is the weird thing. Even when brainstorms like coming up with this, like, what if we combined, you know, a human brain and a robot body? It's like I I watched the Autobot Spike episode. That didn't seem like a fun time. Maybe somebody should speak up and say, ah, we kind of tried that once, and yeah, maybe not. Please refer to episode Autobot Spike in yeah. season two. Yeah, I mean, you thought Spike would have just been like, no, no, really, I, I, I can vouch for this being a bad idea. <laughs> so, in terms of foreign localization on this, when it comes to the name, it's pretty much similar phrasings. The only difference mainly being in the initial broadcast in French, which was rather than the rebirth, it was called A New Birth, part one. Okay, fair enough. Now, that being said, obviously when we get to like the Japan side of things, that's a whole other entity in itself, and I'll, I'll touch on some of that now, just in case we forget a bit later. But just to quickly mention it, apparently in Hebrew, which I think that's the first time we've had that mentioned for a local- localization, this was known as the Meteors. Okay. Make of that what you will. And in Italian, I like, kind of like the way this is phrased, but it's phrased as the rebirth first part. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jap- the Japanese version, let's... So, just to set the scene, in case you haven't heard the previous podcast, when it comes to Japan, the rebirth effectively is a what-if story, because the Japanese continuity goes somewhere totally different. But eventually, the rebirth was brought to Japan, and this, what I'm about to read, comes into play on that front. The rebirth was not initially dubbed for Japanese release, instead being replaced by the domestic series Transformers The Headmasters. The episodes were eventually dubbed in 1996 as special features on Pioneer's Laserdisc and DVD collections. The rebirth received its first Japanese television broadcast in 2007, Andy, airing on Cartoon Network Japan. To further distinguish the rebirth from the continuity of the Japanese series, it was released with the American The Transformers branding and title sequence. With a few ex- with a few exceptions, such as Convoy, most of the characters are referred to by their Western names. For example, Hot Rod is n- Hot Rod is not called Hot Rod, and is called Hot Rodimus. And Cup I- and C- Cup is not Cup, and is called I'm going to guess the pronunciation, Andy, but simply Share. C-H-E-R. <laughs> That's an, an interesting one. And with and with the exception of the actors for Convoy, Galvatron, and the narrator, all characters were recast with new actors. Due to having been released straight to video, this is one of the few episodes of The Transformers not to have been edited for time in Japan. As such, Japanese DVD and Laserdisc releases include an optional English audio track for the episode. There's kind of a similar situation when it comes to Italy as well, which I'll quickly dive into just for continuity purposes on this front. The Rebirth was not dubbed for Italian release, airing The Headmasters as a continuation of the series. The episodes were dubbed between 2012 and 2014, along with the redub of Season 3, and feature the same cast. A DVD couldn't be made at the time, even the redubbed Season 3 DVDs were made in very small quantity, so the episodes were released for free on YouTube in November 2014 on the Contactoons channel. Contactoons is a cartoon block that airs on a few Italian regional channels, airing older programs that that regular channels no longer carry. Well, there you go. Never knew that. The videos were made private 24 hours after they were made available. (laughs) 
but they can still be <laughs> excuse me <clears throat> but they can still be accessed by checking the channel's film and by checking a particular playlist on the YouTube channel which translates to animated movies and TV show specials uh, the dub itself is basically an amateur production with voices not well matched to the characters. Many character names are also mispronounced. So there you go. So there's a little indication as to how, in a way, Andy, no pun intended given the name of the Transform, but how scattershot this rebirth actually is almost on a global scale. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I, I guess it sort of all comes down to, like, you know, Japan going in its own direction and having a proper headmaster's continuity, and it sounds like maybe... Maybe the, the brand was doing well enough in Italy for them to kind of follow suit and want more of it, whereas elsewhere it was, you know, at the point where they felt it wasn't worthwhile. But yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, Japan I knew about, Italy I didn't. But uh, yeah, that's kind of kind of intriguing. So before we move on to the second episode of this trilogy, Andy, any other additional notes from episode one that you would like to convey? Uh, no, I... I feel like I randomly saw Sideswipe in a scene in this in that episode. I'm not sure whether that's actually true or whether it's just one of the other characters that looked a bit Sideswipe-esque. But I feel like there was a shot where I was like, that looks a lot like Sideswipe. When they were fighting in the cave, um, it, it just like, I was like, that looks a lot like Sideswipe. I've just had a quick look on the TF Wiki page. Sideswipe is not name-checked here as appearing. So it, no, must have I... been, it, it must have been what I will call an ACOM job. Because they are the ones that animated this. Yeah, I think they either like animated the wrong character or just made them look made somebody else look enough like Sideswipe that I was like, meh, <laughs> looks like Sideswipe. So from there, everyone, we now advance to season four, episode two, The Rebirth, part two. We begin on Nebulos, where the modifications to the Autobots' heads are nearly complete. All that's left to do is select their partners. Partners, excuse me. Duros, the combat veteran of the local inhabitants, takes Hardhead. Arcana, the oldest and wisest among them, takes Brainstorm. His reason being, quote-unquote, His mind is undisciplined, but I find his useful ideas most refreshing. For some reason... I don't think that applies to Brainstorm, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's. I, I think, again, th this is very much a, like, these are like the character buyers from the toys. Like, even if. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, I, I feel like this is how they kind of come down in, in the toy line. And even if they maybe not a one to one match in the cartoon, this, this, this bit was clearly a like, oh, we've read the character buyers we've been given by Hasbro. Absolutely fair. Styler, that's a character name, takes Chrome Dome, Gort takes Highbrow, and as mentioned at the end of the last episode recap, Daniel is placed with RC. Upon activating, the Autobots feel a bit different and decide to have a test run. Now, it should be said that the way that this process works is effectively the Autobot heads are now exosuits and kind of like cockpits, in essence. So they sort of walk into the back of the head, but they can also now transform into an exosuit, which is slightly perplexing that Daniel's one is exactly the same one he would normally use, like, on Cybertron, a la Transformers the movie. And that looks nothing like RC's face, but we'll come back to that another time, maybe. But that's, in essence, the way this all works. What we see, after a few initial missteps of getting used to this whole concept and how it works for both Pilot and Transformer, is that, that a teamwork dynamic 
is proving to be a very fruitful proposition, with the pilots perhaps providing some additional accuracy through their hands directly when shooting a target, or maybe even giving some advice on what to do next if they notice a good opportunity. The headmaster process is thus proven as a good idea, as Brainstorm originally believed. As with the Rebels' guidance, the Autobots trash the Hive's initial machines. Satisfied with their trial run, uh, trial run, excuse me, the Autobots and Rebels decide it's time to get the key for the plasma energy chamber. But the Hive is watching, and they recognize Gort and Arcana, seemingly based on their voices alone, within the robots. Some of them decide it's time to bring the pain, but their leader decides to watch. Worth noting, Andy, as well, at this point, did you notice that one of the uh, inhabitants that's part of the Hive was the same species that was ended by Unicron at the start of Transformers the movie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd, lo I'd love to say that's some kind of like incredible deep lore, but I think it's more that somebody needed a generic robot character sheet <laughs> and found the designs from the movie and was like, hey, that Kranich's design from uh, from the movie, that's a pretty good generic robot. We'll, 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 we'll go with that. Now you said it, yeah, that's totally true, isn't it? <laughs> Meanwhile, on Cybertron, the battle between the Autobots and Decepticons has continued and appears to be pretty, pretty evenly matched. However, there is no sign of Hot Rod and Cup's team, or the key for that matter. And Optimus Prime decides it's time to find some answers, and leaves the battlefield with Ultra Magnus following him. We cut back to Nebulos. Now, remember how the battle at the end of part one, we saw the Decepticons kidnap some Autobots and we've not mentioned them since? Well, now we get to find out what's going on because Scourge is now being interrogator and is torturing the captive Autobots to get the location of the key. And this is much to the amusement, it should be said, of Apeface amongst all the new characters. During this, it should be also be mentioned that Cup has a wonderful comeback line when Scourge basically says, are you going to tell me where the key is? And Cup just retorts with, ah, uh, go stick your head in a black hole, Scourge. <laughs> I laughed a lot at that one, Andy, I've got to say. Cup, at the moment, he's getting all the best dialogue, it's got to be said. Yeah, yeah, Cup is, is having a good time. Although I, th I think it's Daniel early in this episode um, called Cyclonus Cyclonus. Which yes, is, I heard that. I did know that. Which is, is, is very good. So yeah, like kudos to Daniel as well. But at this point, Cyclonus, as ever being kind of the voice of reason in the Decepticons, he realises that these Autobots don't have the key, or else the others would be all over them trying to save them. But in typical Transformers style, Andy, if you say the magic words, things will happen, because then the other Autobots, the Autobot Headmasters specifically, appear, and they quickly overwhelm the Decepticons, primarily because of the surprise factor, but also because of the fact that now, with the addition of the Headmasters into play, in essence, each Transformer is two robots, so there's like, there's like, like double the amount of enemies that the, that the Decepticons have to contend with, because you've got both robot slash exosuit and Transformer body. They, they are able to free their captive comrades, taking the Decepticon ship as well in the process. They're going for all the spoils in this one, Andy. <laughs> Nothing's being left unturned. The Decepticons are also so badly beaten that they're not actually flying away, Andy. They're all running away from the battle. That's how much they've been mullered in this. 
Yeah, yeah, this, this scene really works hard to, like, make a point. Of, I mean, it, it's the typical, like, Transformers cartoon thing of, like, these are the guys we're putting over right now. We've got to make them look really super good. And, yeah, like, it, it's it's almost an unprecedented sort of trouncing of just, like, yeah, they're just completely wiped the floor with them in a way that, you know, doesn't even normally happen within the confines of this series. A short time later, following this battle, we see the Decepticons walking around, mulling over what the heck just happened. The key detail in this being that they all have agreed that the addition of the secondary operators, as they phrase it, inside the Autobots, simply there's no way to get the key back that they need to get. But the Hive watched this battle occur and have come up with a plan. They proceed to have some of their machines kidnap the Decepticons literally drop them into a hole where they land on a conveyor be- on a conveyor belt that eagle-eyed people may have noticed that it is connected to something with a Decepticon emblem behind it, more on that later, before being chucked off said conveyor belt and landing in front of the Hive's supreme ruler, Zarak, and the Ten Leaders. To establish a little point here, through previous scenes, we, we've come to, to discover that some of the Hive members just think that the Decepticons should just be destroyed, but the leader specifically, Zarak, has got other plans. He offers the Decepticons a deal. Submit to the headmaster process and allow the Hive to be their partners, giving them the strength to destroy the Autobots. Or die, in essence. But it's not said, but that's basically what they're offering. Scourge tells them, we don't make deals with organic creatures. But Zarak reveals that the offer was really only a formality, and they've got no choice. Then all sorts of robotic arms appear, just grabbing the Decepticons, prompting Cyclonus and Scourge to agree to the deal, but crucially, only the heads of the animals are to be modified. Apeface objects to this, but Cyclonus shows him who's boss by shooting him in the chest. Now, I would say, Andy, at that point, that's doing damage to merchandise in this deal. Yeah, Just yeah, that 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 is that is uh, a very good point. But yeah, I I quite like the idea. And, and I mean, I guess this this just kind of came out of the writer's room of like, you know, how to differentiate who's going to be headmasters and not. Because, yeah, like, uh, I, even I hadn't really thought about it that all of the Decepticon headmasters are all, like, animal-based. Um, and so I guess they use that as a smart little delineation of, like, well, here's, here's our explanation in Worlds to explain why that is. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's actually kind of smart. But that's not all that's agreed. Because then it's followed up with that all of the vehicle Decepticons, in essence, will offer their weapons to be modified as well. Adding another interesting twist to the plan here. Zarak agrees, and the modifications begin. Back on Cybertron. Get ready for some interesting lore here, folks. Optimus Prime and Magnus have reached the source of the Autobot leader's quest. That being Prime's quest. Magnus saying, Prime... Where are you going to get these answers that you want? Prime responds with, From the one who created me, from Alpha Trion. Magnus then says, But, but he's in Vector Sigma, the computer which gave us all life. Good little background detail there. Nice one, Magnus. Using the shell of the Matrix, as Prime phrased it, because, you know, there's nothing in the Matrix now because they saved the world by giving up all the info. Using the shell of the Matrix as an interface he may be able to reactivate Vector Sigma and merge with it. 
Now, I really liked this detail, Andy. Like, I'm a big fan of the Key to Vector Sigma 2 parter from Season 2. But this was a really nice, very subtle bit of a callback here. Because though not specifically mentioned, this does actually canonically make sense. Because back in the two-parter of the Key to Vector Sigma, the actual key was destroyed by the aerial bot Silverbolt in the closing battle of the story. When the Decepticons were using it to change the weather and whatnot. So they do actually need another method to activate Vector Sigma. So I really liked that as a callback. And for any newer listeners out there, or should you want to go back and hear that story, we did talk about that two-parter. You can find our podcast discussing those episodes in the archives of the show. Prime is able to activate the supercomputer to communicate with the spirit of Alpha Trion. And Alpha Trion explains that the key is on Nebulos, which is also noted as being millions of miles away from Cybertron. Which leads to the following dialogue exchange. Alpha Trion says, quote, Plasma energy. The chamber was opened me- momentarily, and a bolt of plasma energy struck their ship, sending them millions of miles into space. Prime responds, One bolt did all that? Alpha Trion continues, It is raw energy. It seeks out any entity that transforms matter into energy and overloads them totally. Only organic life is unaffected. But hear me, Prime. A second golden age of Cybertron is almost at hand. But whether this comes to pass depends on the merging of an Autobot life with that of a human being. Prime then responds with, How do you know this, Alpha Trion? Alpha Trion then says, Vic- Victor, that's not his name, <laughs> Vector Sigma itself. It was Vector Sigma who arranged for Galvatron to learn of the key's existence. To which Prime rightly responds with, Alpha Trion, that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> and Alpha Trion continues, do not question Vector Sigma's motives. The parameters of its thought matrix are greater than you can imagine. A final warning, Prime. Whatever happens, the key to the plasma energy chamber must not be destroyed. Vector Sigma commands it. And the conversation ends. And Magnus can see that clearly whatever's happened has finished. And he says, Did you get your questions answered? To which Prime responds with, Yes. And every answer led to a bigger question. The scene then concludes with Optimus Prime essentially going, I've got to go to Nebulos. You've got to hold the fort here, Magnus. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 re- I really like all of this stuff. Like, it's it's a good good use of, like, existing lore, bundling a whole bunch of stuff on it, adding some stuff that makes no sense and have, have it be called out. Like, the the, the whole idea that, uh, that Vector Sigma told Galvatron this is like a top 10 anime betrayals moment I know, right? pretty good um but yeah like it's a really good compelling like and again th- this is one of the moments that does make this feel like a kind of a, a finale to the story because it's like hey you know new golden age blah blah like all of that stuff feels like you know almost a transformers the movie level kind of like hey defeat this and you know it'll all be great um so yeah that that's definitely a point where it feels like oh this sort of you know this feels like this three-parter will be it and it kind of makes sense at this point yeah i i liked how it really added 
just the, the the what the heck questions like oh vector sigma made galvatron no it's like what <laughs> why <laughs> i mean you could argue because they destroyed the key you know <laughs> you could think that in some way but it was just a really really nice just a really nice twist and i also like the fact that this has not been mentioned vector vector sigma may have been name checked once but since we last saw it until now but it's the fact that we're now getting this mention of a continuation of something that was established in season two almost like prime's back now let's go back to what happened then you could actually argue this is a bit of a stretch andy but here we go in theory if you just had the return of optimus prime you sort of had like five faces of darkness and then you just kind of went immediately to return of optimus prime then this realistically if you just cut out the majority of season three this would actually run pretty smoothly from a continuity perspective yeah yeah sure yeah i mean like throw dark awakening in there as part mm -hmm. of return of optimus prime and yeah you're 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 practically you're practically all the way there yeah and i mean that's kind of that that's always sort of been the thing right with this sort of transformers law you can pick out pretty much pick out all the multi-parters and glue them all together and that's your kind of actual overarching narrative everything else is sort of side stories um but yeah i mean certainly if you wanted like a recommended viewing list of like you just want the important store stories post movie yeah that's pretty much your list basically and wasn't there another episode where like they did a bunch of like time traveling altering things that seems familiar that's pretty mildly important it's not as important as the creation of the aerial bots mind you yeah but <laughs> yeah but i mean even even that stuff kind of yeah that was sort of you know around um you know, Orion packs and all of that stuff it's like mm. you know that, that was war of... dawn that episode wasn't it if memory yeah says. yeah like even that's kind of like almost a, a, a footnote like it's not absolute needs to know stuff so uh so yeah but but yeah it's, it's interesting when you look at that and you know clearly they built up sort of a bit of a series bible that they were making good use of when it came to stuff like this which is it's good to see Back on Nebulos, the modifications are complete and the Hive members bond with the Decepticons. Zarak, however, remains behind, having additional plans for Hive City specifically. Oh, sorry, Hive's City specifically. Hive City is a good name for a place, though, just gotta say. <laughs> this is when we're introduced to the Decepticon Headmasters, which already kind, kind of throws a loop of what exactly the headmasters actually are andy in my opinion and i was writing this note as i was watching the episode because the weapons that were offered are now heads themselves which themselves can also transform into robot bodies but also transform into weapons it's kind of a, a weird thing with the, which obviously they're, they're ultimately the target masters i'm referring to but uh, in terms of like the headmaster's concept, it kind of already just throws it for a loop, and they're not actually called the target masters until a few scenes later. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of it, it's the weird thing, and again, this is where I'm trying to remember like the comic continuity whether they threw them all in together or whether they were separate things. I feel like they they had more of a delineation of like you had the headmasters first, then you had like the target masters that were sort of their own sort of extension of that idea and then you had the power masters which became their engines um like after that um and yeah like i, I feel like this is almost the cartoon doing catch up and having to like slam the headmasters and the target masters together which i mean kind of makes sense because it's still the same core concept but 
I feel like the animators from this point have a really bad time trying to kind of make the target masters look right because like you know having these like sort of exosuited humans that turn into guns there are a whole bunch of points where like the guns don't have triggers um we're clearly not not here and privy to ask where they're emanating their shots from <laughs> given that they're like have human bodies because that's <laughs> weird um and yeah there, there, there's there's it feels like a bit of a kind of struggle animation wise to be like i don't know how we make this work so we're just gonna kind of wing it a bit whereas the headmasters have you know there's still some oddities like you said like around daniel and, and rc's head and stuff but you know the core concept kind of works quite readily yeah and at least this is jumping ahead a bit but at least with the target masters from the perspective of them being on the front of a vehicle it actually makes sense it's a gun turret that actually yeah. makes the most sense. And from an Autobot perspective, it actually now gives the Autobots weapons while they're transformed as vehicles. So it's actually a good upgrade that clearly no one thought of before. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that that was sort of one of the nice things with the toys for those is that they sort of had like, you know, a compartment you could bolt like the, 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 the person slash gun somewhere onto their robot forms, which, yeah, like previously, I mean, I guess there were some trans... There were some Autobots, I think, that, you know, had sort of weapon attachments in, like, you know, vehicle mode. But, yeah, for the most part, it was, like, I, I, I still have my, like, big box. It's just, like, the weapon box. <laughs> like, when all the Transformers are in their car modes, it's, like, this is just the box or the weapons and other accoutrements go in. Um, which, you know, I mean, maybe maybe that's what they had in, like, in the Ark. They just had a big old box <laughs> of, like, just drop your weapons in here when you're in, in vehicle mode. I don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Autobots are dragging the Decepticon ship back to the Rebel base. This is when, suddenly, Cerebros is seen falling down a mountain, and he's badly injured and is mumbling that he found a city of some kind. The Autobots are able to stabilise him, but then the Decepticons show up. And Brainstorm is really angry that, that the, the Decepticons now have their own headmasters. So much so, he says the line of dialogue, Those creeps! Sniping my idea. I'll sue! <laughs> He's even more annoyed when Mindwipe takes the key from him. However, Brainstorm, in the process of this, is able to run a scan on, on the small headmaster slash target master. I think it's target master specifically. Called Nightstick. That's before the Decepticon is able to get away and run off. Using the scans that he was able to produce... Spike has an idea. Sometime later, we see Optimus Prime lands on the planet and is introduced to the Headmasters and the Targetmasters, pretty much echoing what most people might be going and just saying, what the heck's happened? Because <laughs> so much has gone on. But with this force, the Autobots prepare to try and retake the key. Elsewhere, we see the Decepticons are getting a bit grumpy, having to wait for Zarak while they're just doing nothing at all. They're just waiting, getting bored. Their boredom, though, is relieved when Optimus Prime and co. arrive and begin attacking. RC and Daniel manage to take the key and get it back to Optimus Prime. The Autobots then create a really cool sort of circle around Prime and RC, so they've got all sides from a defensive point of view covered, vowing to let nothing get through. But then the ground beneath them begins to shake. Zarak raises inside the Hive's city. Then it begins to transform into something else. 
as the city lands on the ground and the dust settles, we see it transform into almost something resemble, resembling, excuse me, a scorpion, and we simply hear the name Scorponok as the episode concludes and we see the to be continued sign. Good ending to the episode, Andy, and a lot happened in this part too, but again, aside from the odd maybe trying to throw a bit too much in and maybe not explaining properly, another really strong episode and really liking what they're doing here. Mm. I mean, I, I will say my, my best childhood friend at the time got the Scorponok toy and I didn't, and even 30 plus years on, I'm still a little bit salty about that. I never I never had a Scorponok. Um, Is this the same friend that you talked about in the last podcast who's like, who, I think it was one of the throttle bots. You both like no, switched over. No, no, that was that was that was that was a, a different friend. Um, but but no, like this 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 was my my best friend, and like you know he he had he had an Ultra Magnus as well, which I was I was less like jealous of because um, I had <laughs> I had Galvatron and Galvatron made laser sounds, so that was better. That's um, cool. Yeah, yeah, he, he made he made three different sounds. I'll have you know that was my parents loved that on Christmas Day. I can tell you, like, you know, just me just going around <laughs> making pew-pew laser sounds for an entire day. Because uh, those batteries, it, it took a whacking great, like, PP9 battery as well. So it lasted. Um, and But yeah, I, I was still very jealous, like, because the Scorpionoc toy was really, really cool. Um, and, you know, it was a scorpion and turned into a big robot. Of course it was cool. Um, but it, it was it was, it was, was really quite something. But yeah, like Scorpionok, and then, I mean, joking aside, like, Scorpionok has always been a very cool Transformer. Like, you know, in terms of, like, size, really cool transformed mode, good robot design. Um, was always, like, really cool, like, in, in the comics as well. Like, I feel like he often got some of the best artwork. Like, I remember, must have been, like, the 1988 annual has a really good illustration that's literally just Scorponok, like, reaching out with his big claw. And it's just, like, I, I think that, that was probably like, one of the first times he'd been in and around the comic, and it's just, like, this guy's just awesome. Um, so yeah, like anything with Scorpionok involved is, is is always a good time. But yeah, like it's a good it's a good escalation. Um, you know, it's it's a good it adds an extra layer to the like good versus evil stuff. And like I say, you throw all the deep lore and the kind of like, hey, this is this is really important angle into this as well. This isn't just some random battle on some other planet. Like this is of massive consequence to the future of the Transformers and Cybertron, like, there's a lot to sell you in on what's going to happen in episode three. Now we move to the TF wiki to see what continuity notes we may have, or random trivia notes and such. With regard to Vector Sigma, Andy, a note here, Vector Sigma suddenly gains a whole lot of new powers, having complex plans and motives of its own, and arranging for certain events to happen in the outside world. Now, it is also noted that outside the realm of the cartoon, this would eventually be retconned as Primus working his god shtick. I, I honestly did not catch this line in this episode, but I'll read this verbatim and see if you noticed. Apparently, there is a line from the Hive which is exterminate, exterminate, which is the catchphrase of the Daleks from Doctor Who. Deliberately included by writer David Wise, who is a huge Doctor Who fan. 
and is also appropriate too, given that the Daleks are also alien beings who lived in mechanical bodies to compensate for the severe atrophy of their real bodies. Yeah, yeah, I, I did, I did sort of see that line, and it was one of those kind of like that's probably deliberate, but you know, you can never quite be sure. But that that definitely definitely makes sense, and uh, I, hopefully they didn't get sued for it by Brainstorm or anyone else. <laughs> Some trivia notes. Optimus seems rather dazed and confused throughout this entire episode. It's as if he's coming back, it's as if coming back from the dead left him more as an old man than the hero from the earlier episodes. That's an interesting note, actually. I hadn't really put two and two together on that, but that that isn't an entirely outrageous theory. Yeah, well, and it's certainly like, it feels like he's sort of far more of a sort of doing the office work, if you like, rather than being on the front line. I mean, you think about, like, Transformers the movie Prime, who's, like, turns the tide with his sheer power alone, whereas now he's just kind of, like, worrying about, you know, what's happening. Um, and it, it is, yeah, it does feel like a change of role, which, again, I think makes the whole, like, Hot Rod just being Hot Rod, Rod thing kind of weird, because it's like, you know, it's sort of Ultra Magnus has taken, like, second in command, and it's like, well, surely that's not really how this should work at this point, but, you know, I guess we, we know Rodimus didn't enjoy that job, so, you know, he's, <laughs> hey, he's a target master now, so, like, weirdly, I think I ended up with, no, maybe I didn't get target master head hot rod i can't remember because I, I feel like i ended up with two hot rods at some point but anyway i digress <laughs> brainstorm announces his plan to sue for the theft of his headmaster idea aside from the peculiar idea of a cybertronian engaging in legal warfare exactly who would he sue in the first place is a mystery <laughs> Cyclonus seems frighteningly willing to murder Apeface over a minor disagreement. <laughs> <laughs> Why not just let Apeface be a target master instead? Considering how few soldiers are on hand right now, it seems like quite a risk to just start shooting them right and left and still expect to be able to take on the Autobots. Yeah, I feel like Cyclonus has just been hanging out with Galvatron a bit too long at this point, and it's just some of his bad habits have started to rub off. So we didn't mention this actually specifically, but a couple there are like other characters that make their debuts in these episodes. And I do remember this moment well, which I didn't actually write down in my notes. But after after Spasma and Crunk tell the Horrorcons to stay in line, Spasma spits on the floor, and this causes a small trail of smoke to fume from the ground, suggesting that Spasma's spit was some kind of corrosive acid. That's hardcore, the TF Wiki writes. Yeah, again, I'm I'm pretty sure that is from like the 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 actual toy tech specs. I'm I'm pretty sure that it was like certainly I think Ape Face like likewise and and on and there there was definitely some kind of like oh yeah like they have they do the alien blood thing basically of just like it being acidic, um and it's like yeah it's it it, it is pretty hardcore when you think about it. So, a couple of additional notes, because we were talking a little bit about this earlier. First of all, toys inspired by this episode. Target Master Hot Rodimus. This was in 2018, apparently. A redeco of the masterpiece Hot Rodimus uses the incorrect Acom colour palette that he used during the majority of Season 3, but is also directly based on the degraded colours of the broadcast master used for the episode's DVD release. And he also comes with a with a figure of his target master partner, Firebolt, that he used in the episode, uh, who he can hold in Hot Rod's hands 
or mounted on his engine block. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a deep cut to, like, deliberately, like, miscolor grade a toy based <laughs> on the masters of the video, but cool. And we were talking about RC a little bit earlier. There was a toy inspired from it in 2017, mm. eventually. This is going to be a lot of things to say. So, a Hascon slash New York Comic Con slash Hasbro Toy Shop slash Toys R Us shared exclusive redeco and retool of Titan's Return Deluxe Class Blur as RC, <laughs> specifically representing her headmaster incarnation that debuts in this episode. Her Titan Master is named Linad, which is Daniel spelt backwards. <laughs> just, just, just going full like Alucard there. And is based on an exosuit like the one Daniel wears when transforming into Arcee's head in The Rebirth. Also included is a Titan Master version of Ultra Magnus, which is unrelated to this episode. I don't even know what a Titan Master is. I'm not going to ask today. No, no, I'm, I'm not sure. I guess it's it's one of the, the various toy lines. But I, I do remember people getting excited about that and being like, ah, finally, like, they're making this RC. <laughs> that, that opening sentence, I don't know if I could read that again, because that was a <laughs> lot of just... That, that was almost the equivalent of just random words in a sentence. <laughs> but, um, but there we go. So before we move on to part three, Andy, any additional notes you've got from part two specifically you would like to impart on to Rob? No, no, I think let's, uh, let, let's get to the last episode ever. Yeah, well, from here, everybody... It's going to be weird. I'm technically only saying this one last time now after how many times I've done it. But from here, everyone, we move on to the finale of Transformers G1, Season 4, Episode 3, The Rebirth, Part 3. With the arrival of Scorponok, the Autobots scatter, but it's established that Scorponok is the most powerful Decepticon ever according to the, the, the narrator, excuse me, during the episode recap we see at the very start of the episode. Yeah. You, you can imagine, like, Triptychon just, like, coughing over that to be like, <laughs> I'm, I think you'll find I'm bigger than Scorponok. <laughs> its first act of business is to retrieve the key, capturing Arcee and Daniel, and then all the Decepticons getting on board Scorponok and departing. Optimus Prime orders the Autobots to move out. However, Spike at this point insisting oh, sorry, insist to opt Optimus Prime to let him and Cerebros remain behind now at this point I think Optimus nearly has a mental breakdown because he's getting visions of the past based on what Alpha Trion said about organic life being immune to plasma energy and Optimus believing just quite bluntly that Spike is their only hope if Galvatron should activate the plasma energy chamber but ultimately he relents and lets him stay now, Andy, I'm going to break the conversation flow right now. I feel this is my final opportunity to say this question. Where's Carly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you wonder whether there's been some kind of messy divorce or something at this point. Because, yeah, she's nowhere to be seen here. Um, so she was in, like, one episode earlier in season three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, uh, very conspicuous by her. Especially at this point in time when, like like you say, Optimus Prime's kind of having a meltdown about, like, I need a human. Just any any, <laughs> any human will do. And it's like, you know, can, I'll, I'll call my wife would be the obvious thing for Spike to say at this point. Because, yeah, like, it's... Uh, other than that, like, uh, th that's a really good exchange, like, because... 
kind of Transformers tradition is pretty much kind of like, you know, the humans just help out and kind of do whatever is asked of them. And like, this feels like quite a rarity to have Spike just be like, no, like, I'm not doing what you asked me to. I'm doing this thing instead. Um, and it's quite a kind of like heated argument for a little bit of just like Optimus, you know. And again, the, the other side of that argument is Optimus is like usually like, well, whatever you think is best if, you know, if that's how you feel. But he's just like, no, you can't do this to me um, for a bit until they finally kind of relent on it. And it's quite a kind of, it's quite a, a, a sort of a, a back and forth between them, which is sort of, you know, felt more heated than I feel like we've really seen for the most part between kind of humans and Autobots in the course of this series. Yeah, another another way I would almost add to that is it actually shows the growth of the series. Kind of like growing up effectively with the series, if you imagine the children. It kind of also enacts how you just kind of establish perhaps a bit more of a you want to respond to something and you won't just do what someone tells you. Like you've got an opinion. And when you think that we've seen Spike from right at the beginning of season one right through to now, it is actually a massive bit of growth when it comes to just Spike as a character as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was literally going to say, like, remember when Spike was an idiot? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> for most of those, well, I mean, most of season two in particular, where he was just kind of chasing tail and not really being very useful a lot of the time. Um, and yeah, like, it is interesting. I mean, I think it's one of the coolest things that this series does, like, having that 10-year time skip. Um, and, you know, like, letting us see a grown-up Spike and, you know, which I suspect was primarily so that they could add Daniel as a more, like, child-relatable character. But, like, he, even as a kid, I sort of remember sort of Spike being a kind of interesting, like, oh, like, you know, the sort of teenager that we saw as sort of grown-up now and is a dad himself. And it's... I, I feel like the series has a really good time kind of exploring that a bit and looking at him as, like, a mature man and a, and a mature character at this point and yeah this this is a really good sort of payoff and send-off in that sense that this is a far cry from you know the the boy in his hard hat that was just helping his dad on a oil rig you know he's he's come a long way yeah but we still don't know what happened to him and carly but yeah carly <laughs> that's all i'm annoyed about now i just want to know where's carly that's all i care about <laughs> Her fantastic debut in season two, and she's only barely been in a few episodes. Anyway, let's get back to the point at hand. <clears throat> On Cybertron, Ultra Magnus' forces are still fighting off the Decepticons, but ultimately are just pretty much downed. We also find out through dialogue that the Combaticons, yes, they still exist, have been constructing something on the far side of the planet. And Galvatron has the downed Autobots, Autobots excuse me, moved there specifically. Because, as Galvatron put it, they're going to be used as fuel for the biggest rocket engine ever built. Lo lovely. I, I do, by the way, I also fi find it hilarious that the Combaticons are doing some building. It's like, I've, I, I, the it's the best if, irony, isn't it? If, if only the Decepticons <laughs> had some kind of combiner team of construction experts <laughs> that could build this thing. But no, I'm afraid the combat specialists will have to build it. I was going to point out, because it, 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 it's the biggest kick in the nuts to any constructor con, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, again, you must they must have just, like, retired somewhere or, or whatever. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, it's just such a bizarre... You'd have thought, I mean, given 
Like, I feel like the Constructicon toys and everything kind of stuck around for a while that they might have been like, can we put the Constructicons in this? Because it makes sense. They're building a thing. And it's like, no, it must be the Combaticons. Oh, fine. All right. I mean, it, you know, it would only be more stupid if it had been the Stunticons, I feel. <laughs> I mean, look, we had the freaking, what was it? The, the, the Horrorcons, the Terracons, was it? I've just totally forgotten their combined name. Use them. They only got introduced like technically five episodes earlier or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just it. If you're not going to go with the specialist construction force, then yeah, you might as well just use whoever you want. Use Trypticon. I don't know. Like, it doesn't really matter anymore. <laughs> But at this point, after the Combaticons have left with some of the downed Autobots, it's just Galvatron left alone. And Magnus and a bunch of the other comrades that are still about, at this point, strike and start attacking him. They're on the verge of downing the Decepticon leader, but the tide is turned when the Decepticon headmasters and target masters arrive, allowing Galvatron to claim victory. Scourge and Cyclonus explain what has happened on Nebulos, and Galvatron is disgusted by his subordinates, mainly because they've now got organic life forms inside of them, and he's on the verge of just reducing all of them to scrap. However, Zarak then appears and explains that he has the key and has control over Scorponok. Though still disgusted at the thoughts of everything, Galvatron then goes, Fine, we'll talk. <laughs> while ordering at the same time that his new planetary engine be activated. At this point, I'm literally going to make this a throwaway line, Andy, because all it needs to be, we get a brief torture scene where Daniel's arm is nearly ripped off and RC gives up the key. Yeah, again, again, a surprisingly <laughs> dark moment like from a kid's cartoon, because, yeah, it kind of gets a little bit... <laughs> A little bit emotional there for, mm. for a while. And it's like, yeah, like we're, we're threatening full-blown, you know, gore and torture here. Um, and it's, 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 quite, it's quite a lot. But hey, it, it, it gets the job done, I suppose. And it was a pretty short scene as well. Like, I know I just literally made it one line, but that's in essence how long it was. There wasn't much to it. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, to be fair, like, yeah, if, if, if you're threatening to rip off a kid's arm, I guess most people are going to cave in pretty fast, so <laughs> it was it was certainly effective. There you go. Heading for Cybertron, Optimus now receives a vision from the spirit of Alpha Trion, telling the Autobot leader to preserve the key at all costs. And I'm guessing at this point, also giving Optimus Prime basically a bit of a mental breakdown again. Him just going, oh, what have I done? I've left Spike on the planet. <laughs> just everything and whatnot. However, Hot Rod and Cup now inform Prime that they've arrived where Cybertron should be, but Cybertron ain't here. Realising immediately what Galvatron's intentions are, because Prime's done this once or twice before, almost quite literally, he orders the shuttle that they are on board to head for Earth. On Cybertron, which has now entered the solar system, mind you, Galvatron reveals that he intends to activate the plasma energy chamber and let the energy spread out and cause the sun to nova, destroying the Earth and Cybertron. That's what he name checks. But let's be fair, Andy, destroying a lot of the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's quite a lot of collateral damage to be had. And again, having ha having done all of our galaxy hopping across like season three and post movie, it's like, yeah, you know, like what is, does Junkion count here? Like, what is what about all these other planets that we visited? Like, what about the Webworld planet with the psychiatrists? Like, you know, who 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 is going to be caught up in this? 
You just mentioned Junkion. I wonder what they would make of the whole headmaster thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they sure they'd have some pithy TV-based thing to say. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what quote they might randomly pull out now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a debate for another time. Back on Nebulos, Spike has now repaired Cerebros and has convinced him to take him to the city that he mentioned he found earlier. Later, we see them having located the city, which turns out to be an old abandoned city that the Hive used to live in. And after a little bit of helping about helping him get to a particular platform, Spike is now in control of a bunch of the machines that are about to attack them. The reason being, he figured if they can now control the machines with their minds, they must have done it with actual controls before, and he figured out that they've got a bunch of controls in the city, and now has control of them via the control port he found. Spike's grand plan is to use the machines to rebuild the city into something that Cerebros will also be a part of, much to his disgust. Landing on Cybertron, the Autobots discover that their comrades have had their power packs removed and that their lives will end soon if they do not get Energon immediately. Of course, they don't give them any. <laughs> Literally, Andy, they don't. What can I say? The Nebulans then think that they should just destroy the key because of the energy, because the energy might reach Nebulos, which I question, Andy, given their what? What, what, what did I say earlier they were? Like, was it a couple of million miles away in space? Yeah, but then again, I mean, if you think about it, just, just that little bolt, like, sent the shuttle all the way to Nebulos, so I guess... Fair, actually, yeah, it could, fair. It could happen. Now, Prime's got a problem here, because he is remaining adamant... He's got more than a problem, it should be said. But he's he's remaining adamant that the, the, they can't destroy the key, and then tells everyone what Vector Sigma has done. Which a bunch of the Autobots, you can bet, are just like... You what? <laughs> and unwilling to take the risk, the Nebulans now just simply abandon their Autobot counterparts and the Headmasters just transform and drive away. <laughs> just leaving a bunch of Autobots without heads. Yeah, which I, again, I, I, I really like this as an avenue of exploration like within this because, yeah, we've, we've, we've had a lot of talk and a lot of like um, examples of like the positives of this relationship and nobody's ever really talked about the downside of like what if my head just buggers off and doesn't want to do this anymore um and then yeah we get a very clear example of that which comes from a really sensible place because like if you were like a nebulon and you're suddenly having all this kind of nonsense law spouted at you by this big red robot you'd be like what you're off your rocker i'm gonna do what it takes to save my own planet um, you can figure out the rest. And so, like, it all has a really good logical consistency to it. Um, and I really like it as a plot point. Yeah, and you could you could imagine as well that if season four had gone past this episode, again, the potential storylines that could be explored with it. it, it there's, they're, they're throwing a lot into this, but they've got to because of the time limit they're on, in essence. Yeah, yeah. And, and kind of likewise in a slightly different track, like the whole Cerebros thing that's building here, like, that's a really interesting kind of uh, angle as well because you know we've had pacifist transformers before who don't really want to fight like we had like first aid um as a kind of notable example but like the stuff that's happening with cerebros where he doesn't want to fight but also like he kind of 
he ends up in like symbiotic relationships that kind of force his hand. Like that's a really interesting set of circumstances as well. Um, so yeah, like I, 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 there is some genuinely really good ideas and writing throughout these episodes that I really kind of, when you dig into them, like for a kid's cartoon, there's actually quite a lot to unpack with them. 100%. Now, because the Nebulons have just abandoned the Autobots, they also now immediately head towards Scorponok, which is kind of like, I mean, guys, you might be better off in the bigger bodies there, but so be it. So now, a bunch of Autobots haven't got their heads, they're weaponless as well, because this includes some of the target masters that have gone as well in amongst that. Autobots are not in good shape right now. But they head towards Scorponok, because that's how they're ultimately going to solve this. But during this time, it should be noted, Galvatron has now used the key inside the plasma chamber, but has somehow, Andy, managed to decipher how to work the controls and set a 10-minute timer on the plasma energy chamber before it explodes. <laughs> Galvatron's very resourceful. Yep, he, he sure is. <laughs> Back at Scorponok, Cyclonus and a bunch of other Decepticons that were on hand managed to capture the Autobots almost immediately upon them entering inside Scorponok using the same energy change that we saw the Nebulans use in part one. Just then, Spike and Cerebros arrive in the Hive's converted city, which transforms Andy into Fortress Maximus with Spike and Cerebros as part of the core components of it. Cerebros still very unhappy about the situation, it needs to be said. But Spike promises him after this, he'll never have to do it, never have to do it again, excuse me. I then wrote in brackets in my notes, a bold claim. Yeah, I mean, maybe he knew that the series was being cancelled and he's like, no, this is fine, this will be the, the last time you have to do this. But yeah, I mean, talk, talking about, like, toy jealousy, like, the, it was only, like, a few years ago that I got to see a Fortress Maximus in person for the first time at a Transformers convention, and that thing is just insanely huge. And it's just, it's kind of so cool because, like, you know, the actual Fortress Maximus head is also, like, a practically a full-size transformer and then cerebros is like the headmaster for that and it's like it's <laughs> headmasterception um but yeah like that that thing was insane i i can't i can't remember what his kind of like price was at like the time of release and again i'm not sure whether it was ever like really available in the uk but i, I know even like trying try to buy one second hand now it, it, it sets you back um i can yeah. imagine that that was that was one one hefty boy. It looked it on screen as well. Because this is when Andy we kind of get one of the big payoffs of this story. Because Fortress Maximus transforms, as does Scorponok, and well, transforms into like sort of city battle mode, if you will. And we get to see the huge firepower that both of these things possess. It's mental, quite frankly. Galvatron now reaches the surface, knowing that there's only about five minutes left before the time was going to expire, and is kind of having that moment of, oh, for crying out loud, not now. <laughs> Please. We see Scorponok then in transform into its scorpion form, before transforming into a root robot mode form, which then prompts Fortress Maximus to do the same, and we get some brief close quarters combat action between the two gigantic Transformers. Of course, which Andy, because this is Transformers, the Autobot can't look good for more than a couple of seconds, so Fortress <laughs> Maximus is just beaten down by Scorpodoc. 
Yeah, yeah. Sa- sadly, sadly, that was uh, <laughs> some things never change. But now, once the two have kind of returned to their respective city modes after the fighting, Cerebros and Spike then break inside Scorponok to save RC and Daniel. He first bumps into his captive comrades, i.e. Optimus Prime and co, still stuck in their vehicle mode, and frees them. At this point, Prime urges Spike to sort the chamber out because, you know, stuff's about to blow. But Spike is more concerned about Daniel. And Optimus Prime clearly having a bit of a problem here. Doesn't say this exactly, but he effectively tries to say, You realise if you don't stop the chamber, everything will die. Not just your son. Which is he, a very... he tries to say that without saying it. Yeah, which is a very good point. He should probably have been a bit more explicit about that. Of just like it won't just be <laughs> Daniel if uh, you, you don't sort yourself out here. <laughs> the Decepticons now manage to get into Scorponok at this point and begin making, as Galvatron called it, the oversized shopping center fly into the sky in an attempt to flee. But ultimately, in a moment, I. I burst out laughing at the plasma energy just starts going into the sky and Scorponok is all but literally swatted out the sky like a fly and is sent into the far distant galaxy like Team Rocket in an episode of Pokemon (laughs) even with the little star glimpse in the distance as well it was just like what on earth yeah, it's it's it's, it's the, the the classic, and it's also the classic Transformers of just like, hey, we've really sold you on this this toy and this character, but like, bing, now they're just gone <laughs> into the far reaches of the galaxy, and maybe they sucked. I don't know. Spike and the Nebulans deactivate the plasma energy chamber, but not before it has sent out a giant amount of energy into the sun. Working quickly to figure out what the heck they're going to do, and also influenced by some words of, of Optimus Prime nearly being dead again, it should be said, Spike and the Nebulans come up with a plan to begin preparing Vector Sigma to absorb the excess solar energy being emitted from the sun because of the energy emitted from the energy chamber. They're pumping energy straight into the supercomputer, directing all of the energy into Cybertron's storage capacitors, which has an unexpected side effect, Andy, which I don't think anyone saw coming, but it makes sense now. Because, you know, Vector Sigma clearly knew the future. So because they've done this, and all of the solar, the now solar energy, I guess, raw energy that's come back in, Cybertron suddenly starts lighting up in a gold colour. Like we saw in the various flashbacks that we've seen of Cybertron's golden age in the past three seasons. It turns out, this is the start of the the second golden age of Cybertron. As Cerebros reactivates, he begs Spike now to deactivate him at this point. No longer wishing to endure the Great War. But because Spike is the head part of Cerebros, Cerebros can't see what's in front of him. So, so Spike then has to transform to become the head to allow Cerebros to see and forcibly just make him see how beautiful Cybertron is looking. Captivated by what he is seeing before him, Prime explains that everything that's just happened comes down because of, sorry, comes down to the fact part of the actions he, Cerebros, took has made this possible. He doesn't need to fight anymore. 
as Prime now has a different task for him going forward. Remember that, everyone. Remember that line. That's all I'm going to say. I, I, I would also say here, may, maybe not quite the same motivational speech, but I would say all this happened in spite of Cerebros. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm just being a little harsh. I don't know. <laughs> Optimus then declares that the Headmasters and Target Masters are to become the Guardians of Nebulos. And they are to destroy the Hive's machines. When this is done... Cerebros will become the guardian of Nebulos and live in peace. C- Cerebros got got screwed over here. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's not done. Yeah, especially given that it's like, hey, it's the golden age of Cybertron. Now, hey, there's this other planet that has a bunch of machines that need fighting. So, uh, yeah, if you can just do that, <laughs> it's like mm. <laughs> this seems. Yeah, this this does not seem like quite the good deal you're making it out to be. But the other interesting part of this, from a potential storyline perspective, were this to have continued, is the way this scene ends. I mean, we'll get on to RC and Daniel in a second. But it kind of implies that the Headmasters and Target Masters will only be on Nebulos, and that if the story had continued, this would have been the primary focus. That's how it came across to me, and that kind of the Cybertron stuff probably won't really matter, because in theory, the Decepticons are millions and millions of, like, light and mile years away and such. Yeah, I mean, that's the weird thing about, kind of, this episode in particular, when you look at it, and, you know, the the sort of, what the timeline is, and how much the writers knew and didn't know about the future of this franchise in its cartoon form because all of this feels really final like you know Mm. golden age of cybertron you know yeah all the headmasters and target masters just sent back to their sort of home planet quote unquote nothing about this really feels like it's set up to continue things um which i mean i guess you can say the same of the movie right i mean that sort of that has like a closing speech of like you know let this mark the beginning of a new age of peace and blah 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 um and look what happened then so you know there's always a way you can pull that back around but this does have that kind of end of the movie feel of like this is a full stop at the end of the sentence at the very least of like we're kind of done here um and so yeah like i do wonder whether there was at least some feeling of we want to make we want to give this some sort of finality that obviously we can roll this back if we want to but you know this is not this could be the end because i mean you know season two and season three neither of those series really finish with a proper closing off like you know even the return of optimus prime is not a definitive like and now you know everything's great whereas this very much feels like that Yeah, so the other element we should probably talk about here is RC and Daniel. Because, one, they're part of the Headmaster's Target Masters group now. So does that mean that Daniel's now gonna live on Nebulos? But also, we get the moment where Daniel is quote-unquote piloting with RC. And he's in essence trying to say, I love you. But we don't get the line out and RC just goes... I know, Daniel, I know. And it is a genuinely, like, touching moment, almost like, kind of like a a mother-son relationship, which again brings the question of, where's Carly? (laughs) But, (laughs) but that's, it's quite a moment, but there is part of me that's like, so, 
are Arcee and Daniel living away from Cybertron now? And how deep is this relationship going to go between Arcee and Daniel? Because it feels really a really pivotal moment, again, from like a character development point of view as well. Yeah, and I mean, again, you, you wonder if, if there were like plans to... Because uh, almost looking at all of this, the, the other angle of this is like, if you have like a full-blown season four, like, do you do another time skip at this point? Do you then go to be like grown-up Daniel, who's like married with kids i don't know can headmasters have kids who knows um you know did, did, did they ever cover that in the kiss players that's all i'm gonna say um, well that's that's a whole there, there are definitely things happening in kiss players but we don't talk about that um i'm sure there's some fan fiction that can can fill in the, the gaps here um but yeah like you wonder you always wonder whether you have another time skip at this point and have like you know right spike out of it have daniel and i don't know something else maybe maybe he adopts wheelie as his child i don't know how this happens <laughs> this works um but yeah i don't know it's it's yeah it, it's an interesting angle because the series doesn't really need to go there like mm. it's kind of it said enough about that relationship and the closeness of it also poor hot rod like you know hot rod used to be best buddies with daniel and they just don't really seem to talk anymore um like the whole rodimus prime thing has really done a number on that friendship um yeah. i mean there is also another element to consider here in that Daniel nearly died, and we were told he could only be kept alive by, like, you know, life-saving, like, devices. Is he just okay? Does he have to just forever live in an exosuit and or RC? Like, yeah, what's well, going on? That's like, Yeah, like, that's the dark part about that whole story, because, yeah, like, I would read that as, like, yeah, he, he is now reliant on that exosuit and kind of, you know, getting around with, with RC. And, I mean, I, I, I guess RC is available now, Springer's dead quote unquote like you know so you know there's a whole there's a whole like you know eastenders dynasty drama here that is, is unwritten about the the love lives of the transformers if on your bingo card you had eastenders and transformers being compared with each other you may check that now yeah yeah for, for, for sure um but but yeah it's 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 a strange it's a strange angle like but yeah, it kind of it kind of makes it work, and I don't know. Like I was not my my first cartoon character crush was not RC from Transformers. Maybe I would feel differently if it was, because but I'm sure there are some young boys of a certain age who maybe found RC very attractive and were kind of into that. So yeah, who who knows? But it's it's definitely yeah. It's it's interesting that it really goes all in on that at the end of this, rather than leave it as the kind of unspoken thing that's pretty obvious from like the first episode of of, of these three um but it, it does double down on that for sure there's one more scene everybody let's delve into this it turns out that scorponox survived being swatted away by the raw energy and it's obvious immediately that galvatron and zarak are not seeing eye to eye as they are in the control room of scorponox Galvatron says, in fact, you know what? Let me read the dialogue verbatim, Andy, because I think this might do it more justice, so just bear with me on this. Galvatron says, It's a miracle we finally got this flying junk pile of yours stabilised. Zarak responds with, You were the idiot that opened the plasma energy chamber, chamber, Galvatron. Galvatron says, Silence! There is much to do. We will attack other planets. We will suck them dry. We will rebuild the planet 100 times more powerful than Cybertron. And I will rule the galaxy! 
We've got him. Yeah, I, I feel like they should have just added like the cool narrator voice uh, over that just to be like, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been the best. Zarak then responds with, who will rule the galaxy? And then Galvatron responds with, me! It is my destiny! <laughs> and Zarak, in the final line of Transformers G1, ends the show by going, we shall see, Galvatron. We shall see. <laughs> Yeah, a, a, a classic. And I, I, I'm not sure whether it's deliberate or not that like Galvatron's kind of "It is my destiny" is like aping like Unicron from the end of the movie when like he bites the bullet. Um, but it's 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 yeah, that's it's both a nice final scene and also like the worst possible final scene after everything feels like it's closed off because it's like given that we know what doesn't come next, it's like ah man, you just sort of opened up all this possibility space and. We know this This is not going to come to pass. But with that being said, everyone, that's the end of the rebirth, and that's the end of Transformers G1. Andy, the final episode isn't perfect. It's clear that some things had to be rushed, and I'm sure we're going to delve into some of that in a second. But overall, those bits aside, this rebirth trilogy is actually really good fun, introduces a heck of a lot of cool concepts, and in some ways, it is a shame it didn't actually carry on for longer. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, conceptually, there's a lot that I really like about about this. Like I say, the, the whole Headmasters concept and the way it's explored is interesting. You know, the, the Fort Max stuff is, is really good. Um, and yeah, like, it's, it's a pretty solid story. Um, I mean, it's sort of... You know, again, it's sort of an interesting comparison point to, like, the, the comics that sort of benefited from having a bit more time to, to play with um, for this. So, you know, they, they spent a bit more time sort of building up the whole nebulous angle than this does. But yeah, I, I think this is, this is, this is really good. Like these, this is a good set of episodes and I don't feel like any of it feels massively rushed. Like certainly compared to your typical Transformers episodes where everything feels crazily rushed, like it feels like it has the time that it needs to explore the stories that it wants to within this. Um, but yeah, it's just a shame that it doesn't get to explore like the Headmasters a bit more as as characters and as a collective. Mm. So now we go to the TF Wiki. I'm going to do this in a slightly different way to normal because going on just the main, the Transformers cartoon page, if you will, there's some interesting notes about season four as a whole. And I'm going to read that first and we'll sort of go from there. According to David Wise, the writer of this of the Rebirth trilogy, he was contacted by Sumbo Productions to write a five-part series finale which would introduce a deluge of new characters while simultaneously tying up the series. Shortly after Wise completed the five-episode outline, however, a budget cutback reduced it to a three-parter. This created a massive headache for the writer, who did the math and claimed that, they had, that they'd be introducing a new character just about every 28 or 90 seconds. <laughs> so David Gilverson, who is a voice actor who is the voice of Bumblebee slash Goldbug and other characters in Transformers as well, also expressed his confusion at the truncated season, as 98 episodes didn't fit into a syndicated weekly broadcast schedule, which needed to be divisible by five. Fair. In the end, 25 brand new Transformers and 21 Nebulons, that's 46 characters in all, were introduced across these final three episodes. 
Well, that's assuming you count Fortress Maximus and Scorponok as separate characters from Cerebros and Zarak, and Punch and Counterpunch as one guy. <laughs> <laughs> While the previous three seasons each featured fully original title sequences, Season 4's title sequence was more economically cobbled together by combining animation taken from toy commercials produced by Toei and animation from the Season 3 title sequence produced by Acom. They crafted a new, quote-unquote, title sequence, which used the Season 3 rendition of the theme song. A clever ploy, though the difference in animation quality and art style between the segments produced by Toei and Acom leads to the footage blending rather poorly. That makes a lot of sense from the title sequence point of view, then, why it looks so damn good, quite frankly, in places. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd forgotten they'd used a bunch of commercial um, stuff. Like, I, I, I need to, to see whether there's... I, I Occasionally, I see, like, on my Twitter timeline, like, people post bits of various Transformers commercials that they found, and I always love watching them. I don't know if anyone's... I, I'm sure somebody somewhere has collected them all into one place, because I'm always a sucker for watching those. So, let's delve into part three specifically, and we've got some additional notes we can throw out as well. Hot Rod shows a rare trace of his former Matrix-bearing life, immediately recognising that to have spoken to Alpha Trion, Optimus must have merged with Vector Sigma. That or he's having frickin' PTSD from it, you know, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Cerebros can't see in his alternate mode, given his dialogue exchange with Spike at the end of the episode. His alternate mode, by the by, is basically a tiny version of Fortress Maximus City mode. <laughs> Fortress Minimus, it should be called. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Fair play, I can't beat that. I'm just, I'm just going to move on. <laughs> So let's get on to some trivia notes. As mentioned, the rebirth was meant to have been a five-parter. The next note, man, somebody sure doesn't care about selling aerial bot toys anymore, do they? They got <laughs> shot down one after the other in part one, are shown fleeing in disarray from Abominus in part two, and then show up in part three just long enough to get shot down again. <laughs> They're not wrong. They're not wrong. Why did Galvatron get the Combaticons to construct a rocket engine when he has the Constructicons? <laughs> Additional note, the Constructicons toys weren't on sale anymore. Oh, okay, they were gone by that point. That's interesting. I kind of assumed they'd stuck around. Fortress Maximus and Scorponox city modes make terrible spaceships. <laughs> Not wrong. Yeah, no, very fair. It's no freaking Omega Supreme, is it? You know. Yeah, yeah, he's still, still there in his Fortress of Solitude, his Forest of Solitude, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> After Galvatron sets the timer, we hear a snippet of music that was heard many times in the first season of the show. Now you mention it, there was a piece of music that I hadn't heard in a long time, but I hadn't clocked it was from season one, admittedly. It's strange that Galvatron would want to unleash the plasma energy chamber to destroy Earth's solar system if he wanted Cybertron. The supernova created by the sun would have destroyed Cybertron. I thought that was his thing all along, that he wanted to destroy it, so... Yeah, maybe he changed his mind by the end of it. <laughs> Why does Galvatron point towards Trigger Happy about Nebulons being in the Decepticons' bodies, referring to Headmasters, when he is a Target Master? Uh, I mean, I guess they, they they all blend together when you have Galvatron, I suppose. I was going to say, can you blame Galvatron suddenly having a bunch of new people joining and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's got like 20 new troops. It's like, can't keep up with all of them and who's, who's what. <laughs> so back to David Wise here, the writer for the episode. 
we've had similar notes to this before, Andy, but it, we haven't had one in a while. David Wise was rather notorious for recycling plots, scenes, and dialogue from one show to another. The parting scene where Galvatron and Lord Zarak are sent hurtling away inside Scorponok bickering over leadership was recycled almost exactly from the original miniseries finale of the 1987 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. The episode titled Shredder, Shredder and Splintered. In this episode, the Shredder and Krang are sent hurtling back to Dimension X inside the Technodrome, bickering over leadership. Zarak's final ominous line of, we shall see, is even given directly to Krang. Wise recycled this idea incredibly quickly, as the Turtles episode first aired less than two months earlier. <laughs> to be fair, I also feel like that scene has been in like every cartoon ever, with yeah. like, you know, two evil characters. Even the we shall see, we shall see, is like, that's kind of villain writing 101 for like any cartoon of that era, so I can't really ding him too hard for that one. <laughs> Toys inspired by this episode. From 2017, a redeco of Hasbro's Titan Return Legends Class Bumblebee, which has nothing to do with this episode, that includes an all-new figure, based on the Titan Master template, representing Spike Witwicky, specifically in an exosuit, as seen in Transformers the Movie, who transforms into the head of Cerebros, specifically based on his Western animation model, as seen in The Reba. <laughs> <laughs> on, on which note, was there not at least one scene where I saw Bumblebee being Bumblebee? And yes. Goldbug? Yes, okay, I'm yeah. glad it wasn't just It's me. when they were Cause... celebrating at the end, it's like Bumblebee dancing in the middle of the screen. I think he yeah. was actually dancing with Goldbug, come to think of it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a weird thing. Maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe there's another love story to be told, I guess, like Bumblebee <laughs> and Goldbug. I don't know. But yeah, I'm glad because all, all I wrote as a note was just like in, in all caps was like Bumblebee question mark exclamation mark. And I couldn't remember <laughs> the specifics of why I'd written that beyond that. I'm sure I saw Bumblebee at some point. So just to confuse matters a little bit now, before we kind of move on to like the why did Transformers ultimately end, there was a season five in the US. Let me read from the TF wiki. Season 5 did not feature any new episodes, but rather consisted of 15 episodes from previous seasons and Transformers the Movie, broken up into 5 episodes for a total of 20 episodes. A music video of The Touch was also used to fill time. In addition to a new title sequence and new commercial bumpers, new book-ending segments were added to each episode. These segments featured an animatronic slash stop-motion puppet of Power Master Optimus Prime, which we've not been introduced to in the G1 continuity as it stands, meeting regularly with a live-action human named Tommy Kennedy to tell him old Transformers stories. While the stories were old, the book-ending segments took place in a contemporary time with Optimus regularly name-dropping characters who never appeared in the older episodes but were currently available on store shelves. Production of the segments fell under Tim Tim Speedle or Spidel, however they're meant to pronounce that, a producer for for, Gif, for Griffin Bacall, excuse me, the New York-based advertising company which co-developed the Transformers. The Optimus Prime puppet, a puppet, excuse me, was operated by Marty Robinson, a famous puppeteer best known for his work on Sesame Street. Filming of these segments was completed in one week during June of 1988 at Silver Cup Studios in Queens, New York. Power Master Optimus Prime was made of wood and very fragile in certain areas. 
requiring actor Jason Jansen to step uh, to, to watch his step, excuse me, while filming. Apparently, at one point, a camera rig fell over onto the wooden Optimus Prime Prime's right hand, where uh, where Jensen would have been sitting if he hadn't been eating a bagel at the craft services table at the time. A crane operator who was also strapped to a camera wasn't so fortunate and rode the falling equipment down forty feet. So the episodes in question, just for point of reference, that were part of this season five, quote-unquote, were the More Than Meets the Eye trilogy from season one, the Transformers the movie split into five days, as it's phrased here, the Five Faces of Darkness five-parter, then the episodes Surprise Party and Dark Awakening, the Return of Optimus Prime part one and two, and then the Rebirth three-parter. Which as far as, if you want to pick 20 episodes to highlight pretty the important parts of transformers that's not a bad selection in fairness for 20 episodes yeah yeah i mean that's that's is kind of much like we've just been saying really about you know that there are there's definitely like kind of a through line of like multi-part stories that you can pick and there's kind of like the the history of g1 transformers kind of you know distilled down so yeah there's the pretty pretty solid picks there really also, I should just say, it's, it's good to know that even, like, wooden stop-motion Optimus Prime, like, almost died on a regular basis. <laughs> that's, that's some wonderful continuity there, isn't it? <laughs> so from here, Andy, I think what we're going to do is we're going to delve into a section we're going to call Why Did the Generation 1 Cartoon End? Or the truncated version of that name, Why? <laughs> so what I've done, I've got a, sort of a couple of different sources quote-unquote here for, for theories as to why it ended because we were sort of having a quick discussion about this before we started hitting the record button but as you pointed out if you want to elaborate you can nowadays there would be an announcement if something got cancelled i mean at the time we're recording this i think netflix just announced that the, the new resident evil show is canned after one season and there was an announcement and lots of news stories doing the rounds but as you were saying to me off air Back in the day, that didn't happen. It just went and disappeared. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, a, a lot of it is just because of like the internet connected era in which we live, where you kind of have to explain what you're doing um, in, in a far more public way. Whereas here, like, yeah, you know, it's TV shows and cartoons would just vanish. And very rarely, unless it was an absolutely massive deal, they just stop. And nobody, nobody would even really... I mean, I guess people would question it, but people wouldn't question it in the same way that they do now. It's just like things get cancelled all the time. Um, but yeah, a very different era. Like had had this all happened, you know, even in the late 90s, early 2000s, we'd probably have a, an official source that would explain to shareholders or whatever, like why this had been cancelled and why this had happened. But yeah, in the 80s, you don't you don't get that. Things just vanish without a trace. So, with that in mind, I did a little bit of scouring of the internet, which in and of itself is a dangerous thing to do, to see if there were, you know, any more than than likely theories, of which, let's be fair, it's probably pretty obvious why the show was cancelled, given perhaps things we've touched on in the past, Andy. But in terms of theories that are going around, I think a few of these definitely hit home quite easily. This specifically from the TFW2005.com boards, which simply was in, in a thread of, why did G1 end? <laughs> and the username of a brave convoy in June, on June the 18th, 2012, Andy, said the following. 
Yes, poor sales. As hard as it may be to believe that, that TFs are now raking in the dough, back then, they were shelf warmers. I remember picking up Pretender Bludgeon on clearance for $3 and the Action Masters for $1 each. Everyone who grew up on them had gotten, quote-unquote, too old to play with the toys anymore and moved on to more mature things. It wasn't until years later that the power of nostalgia would revive the line and make it successful again. Mm. Yeah, and, and and I think, and I mean, again, that sort of meshes with what I was saying up front about like the headmasters being the like the last sort of golden age of Transformers toys for me. Uh, before, like, I feel like it's it wasn't even just that I aged out of it, but the toys kind of started to suck. Like, I mean, I don't even really recall what the Action Masters were like. The Pretenders were terrible. Like, that was probably the last line of toys I actually, like, had any of them bought for me. And they just sucked because they were just, like, plastic shells with a really boring robot form inside for the most part. Um, And they just kind of ran out of good ideas. Um, Whereas, like, the Headmasters were really cool, but they felt like they'd just run out of road. And I think, you know, as well as... Yeah, the obvious, that generation of kids were growing up and moving on to other things. Like, you know, it was like Doctor Who and other stuff for me after that. And then, like, things like the X-Files came around and, you know, didn't really think about about that stuff. Um, but, yeah, like, it definitely, yeah, a, a whole generation will have grown out of the toys. I mean, it's it's sort of the interesting thing. Like, I feel like the strength that the, the, the G1 comics and the UK comic had was that because it had always had more mature writing to it, it was something you could read when you were older. Like, I stuck with the comics even when I'd stopped buying the toys because I sort of liked the characters and liked the comic stories. Um, But there's a point where even the G1 comic book, like, I remember being incensed by it as a kid because there was a point where it went from being full colour to being partly colour, partly black and white. Hmm. Because, again, sales were dropping and so they were looking at, well, how do we cut... Can we keep this running but cut the costs? Um, And so, you know you'd have one story that would be black and white and not in colour in it. Um, And they started porting in more and more stories from other Marvel comics to kind of fill the space. And you could kind of see it dying in real time almost. And then there was a point where I stopped buying the comics as well because you could, there just wasn't, it was feeling like thin gruel. Um, And again, a a lot of the same things. But yeah, ultimately, you know, we've talked a lot about this series. It it was here to sell toys. And if it's not serving its primary purpose of selling toys, then yeah, it's going to get canned pretty quickly. Uh, the, The only interesting kind of side note to that, I guess, is, you know, we've literally just talked about like season five, quote unquote, like where they still put enough time and money into building a wooden optimus prime which i need to look up there must be footage of that on the internet because i don't think i've ever actually seen those um but there was also transformers g2 where they had like cg intros and outros of old episodes and what was it like the cybernetic super cube or something that uh, told uh, the fact, stories. I, i'll read that for you right now on the tf wiki so between 93 and 95 a total of 52 select episodes of the transformers were repackaged as a new program the transformers generation 2 the episodes featured new transitioning segments via the cybernet space cube as well as a, as a title sequence yeah so yeah you know they had all of that and i mean and i know that was also like they tried to reboot the toy line at that time because that's when you that's where you got the the, like camouflage tank megatron um which i i 
because I was one of those kids who was into G1. It's like, you can't make Megatron a tank. He's a gun. How dare you? Ah. Um, and, and, and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I guess that was that was also an attempt to, like, reboot the franchise. And then, obviously, they went into, like, Beast Wars and all of all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's it's sort of interesting. They, they never completely let it go. Um, they were always looking for new ways to, to kind of, you know bring that hype back albeit in kind of cheaper more repackaged media forms so just to elaborate a bit more on this now that i've delved into like the actual g2 page on the tf wiki in depth it was as mentioned rebroadcasting with a smattering of cgi animation laid on top of them the most extensive change was the title sequence which had been entirely replaced with cgi footage also used in a contemporary toy commercial for optimus prime and ramjet this was the only change in content. All other CGI additions were related to the Cybernet Space Cube, which only overlaid intrusive, noisy graphics, most often during cuts and scene transitions. Yeah, the, it was it was the 90s, basically. There you go. Uh, the new CG animation was provided by studios Doros Motion and Lamb and Company. The episode choices and airing order were haphazard. Sometimes this appeared to be the result of concurrent production placement being prioritised over the original narrative. But sometimes there was no discernible reason at all. While the show managed to last at least through a second season, it never caught on like the original run. Fan reaction at the time is difficult to determine, since the fandom had only begun to, to coalesce and internet records, such as they were, are spotty. Certainly, this had been the sole opportunity for many fans to see a bulk of the episodes again, since the original series had stopped airing years earlier and only a handful were available on VHS. However, DVDs and the internet have since filled the gap. The only lasting effect of the Generation 2 cartoon has had among modern-day fans is the term Cybernet Space Cube being synonymous with cheap, annoying, useless gimmickry. <laughs> So yeah, that that's basically what G2 was. I won't delve into what the episodes were. You guys can dive into the TF Wiki and find their page accordingly to see that. But it's a it's a bunch of episodes you would expect. I'll put it that way. So there's the odd one where I'm like, really, you picked that one? But overall, it's pretty easy to figure out which ones it would have been from seasons one and two. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting thread from the superherohype.com forums that I found where this was a post from when when. From around September 2007, someone basically asking lots of questions about why did it end and such. And so here's an interesting response from the username Lars573, which it's a little bit, little bit long, but I think it adds some interesting things to think about, which perhaps we both have and haven't thought about. So, what happened to the G1 TV show? The movie. The movie tanked and killed Optimus Prime and others. After that, the show's rating slid until it was cancelled after The Rebirth. Shows like G1 were produced as a 20-minute toy commercial, but even they had to have someone watching to justify the expense, right? The toy line continued for three more years worth of new product in Japan, Europe, and North America, and, and reissues of the 84-85 line in Europe between the G1 and G2 toy lines. The toy line lost its steam in Europe and America, Without a show, kids have short attention spans and are fickle. And US ratings were all that mattered to Hasbro. What it being their primary market... Come on, Euros, tell me I'm wrong. Winky emoticon. So, there's another question that this person delves into, which is in relation to, was the Japanese Takara continuation of G1 
was actually like good. Was it was it liked by kids and such? Was it popular? And the same user Lars573 went on to say this. Before I start on this, it needs some setup. In case you don't know, Japanese TV works differently than US or European TV. Japanese shows for the most part don't have seasons, or in British, series. They just run until they stop making it. That's why you hear anime fans talk about ongoing shows in episodes and storylines rather than seasons. From what I've seen, most, most run 30 to 50 or so episodes, that being one to two years worth of programming. Shows that run longer into the hundreds like Dragon Ball or Naruto get one storyline per year. When they end, they may get a sequel, which may or may not include hordes of new characters and just drop old ones. Or completely change existing characters or completely change the tone of the show too. So in Japan, G1 was dubbed by Takara in 1985. One reason for this delay is that you need at least 26 episodes for a dubbing run, that's the profitability point, and see how it worked in English. All 55 episodes of season 1 and 2 were run in Japan as Transformers. The More Than Meets the Eye and Robots in Disguise were replaced with the Super God Life. It's been the Japanese tagline ever since. Anyway, Season 3 was run as a sequel to Transformers called Transformers 2010. The movie flop in Hasbro's markets delayed its dubbing and, Jap and Japanese release until 1988, hence why you have Season 1-2 characters killed in the movie running around in the Headmasters and Victory. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy yeah, like just how much that diverges, but yeah, it definitely makes sense why... Um, I mean, I, I think the the interesting thing, because I've seen a lot of debates about this in terms of whether the Transformers movie did actually flop or not. Um, mm. And, and that's, that's, an, that's a multifaceted question as well, because yeah. it's, you know, there's the box office question, there's the toy sales question, there's the question of what any given company considers as a success or a failure you like it's something you mm. see with like video games today right where you can see a game can sell millions of copies and the distributor the the, the publisher will say well that's a failure because we thought it would do more yeah. um and, and, we, I, and we even delved into some of the, like was it a failure and such and when we actually talked about them on the movie podcast specifically as well yeah yeah for sure and it's kind of like it's a very the interesting question that we will never really know is how Hasbro really looked at that film and whether they looked mm. at it and said this was a complete failure, this was a success, which I suspect they probably didn't, or whether it was like something in between, which I, I suspect there was, they were probably somewhere in the middle on that because I don't think there would have been you know, a season three and like the rebirth afterwards had the movie completely fallen apart or they would have kind of reined back in what they were going to do with season three. Um, but uh, yeah, like it's it, either way, I think the film certainly had some impact on kind of, you know, how, how things went from that point on regardless. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, that first paragraph, that last answer when it comes to sort of the way anime works it's a bit different to that. Like, we know from both personal and professional yeah. experiences that that... Obviously, this post was written in 2007, so a lot of perspective has changed, obviously. But that that stuff aside, it does add a lot of context for the, for the time gap and just how much the movie did impact it in different regions, which you've talked about before, Andy, how the movie didn't come out over here until... Did you say it was roughly the winter time? Yeah, yeah, it was it was like this November December time, mm. and then obviously like you, I think you even said on the movie podcast before it may have been the one after 
if you'd have known the movie was already out in another country, you would have lost your mind that you weren't seeing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that pre-internet kind of innocence of, yeah, not knowing that someone else is getting something that you're not, like, those those days are, are also long gone. So, ultimately, the question of why did the Generation cartoon end? No one knows the real answer, but it's pretty easy to assume, as we've said before, Andy, and you've also mentioned a few minutes ago, we've said it numerous times. Transformers was built to sell toys. It's from that era. And ultimately, if the toy if the toy sales aren't keeping up, and the ratings probably aren't keeping up either, if it's costing too much money to actually produce a a, a brand, a franchise, if you will, at that point, you just you just culled it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean even like anecdotally as a kid, like, you know, I sort of remember that sort of peak Transformers time when it was a hot thing where you could walk into a toy shop and there would be a massive long shelf that was just, that was the Transformers section. And I remember, I have one very kind of like, I I wish I could remember when this was. Like this was definitely post-movie time where like, I think it was like family holiday somewhere. And of course there'd always be a day where I'm like, right, we're going to go check out the local toy shops. Um, (laughs) And there were basically no transformers there were like there were there were a few they had like a bargain bin that i was desperately scraping through to see if there were any transformers that i could like nab but there was kind of nothing and i think you know i I think as a kid i just sort of wrote that off as just like ah well i guess it's just this toy shop sucks because i don't have any transformers (laughs) but actually like in hindsight that was like the point where i think yeah like the shops you'd go into they'd have a transformers section but it would be significantly shrunk and you'd go from those massive beautiful joyous kind of long shelves that you could walk down and just see like so many different you know so many different toys all the big ones you know all your optimus primes and what have you and it would be a far more you know far more downsized selection um and maybe a lot of it would just be the cheaper ones that took up less space and they could put on hangers rather than have actual shelf space and sort of looking back on that as a grown-up it's like oh i can kind of see like the writing on the wall, like understanding how the retail market works now. But as a kid, it was just like, why is everyone, why are there less Transformers everywhere? So from there, everyone, that is the end of G1. Andy, we did it. <laughs> yeah, we, we did. Um, and, and now now we, we're going to watch it all as G2 with the Cybernet Space Cube. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a wild ride, but should say like technically this is the, the the final like official podcast we'll say but there is definitely going to be a next time because we will be back in a couple of weeks time in essence andy doing an epilogue of sorts because you sort of come up with this idea as well because before we've kind of done like our top favorite episodes and we're gonna do that again and we're probably gonna try and delve into be it next time or maybe on a separate special we'll figure that out as we go along here we are going to delve into some of the extras on like the DVD sets that I've got because on the DVD set, which if you're watching the video version, is literally just kind of next to me right here. That's got like a quiz on it. There's some other interviews on there and such. There's probably some interesting things we could watch that might give us a bit more insight and whatnot. So we'll see if we can delve into those a little bit. But uh, but Andy, you've got you've got a fun little uh, fun little thing planned, which I am seemingly not going to have much involvement in. So this, <laughs> this is going to be fun. Yeah, I I was I I feel worried mentioning it now because somebody might try and and, and 
banjacks the numbers. Um, I mean, I mean, uh, look, you, you don't have to if you don't want to. You could just I, leave I it as a tease. I, I, I don't think we have enough like millions of listeners to to, to mess with it. But yeah, I, I'm basically just gonna. I want to see like what the most and least watched episodes are on the actual Hasbro Pulse site because we've talked a lot about our favorite episodes, and I want to see what like Transformers fans and just people in general are seemingly their favourite episodes in effectively kind of a straw poll of how many people have watched these. Because there's some obvious ones that are going to end up like up at the top, I'm sure. But I'm curious as to whether there are any surprises at the top and bottom of these lists. So uh, yeah, I'll be doing a little bit of, of digging into the data and looking at view counts for all of the Hasbro Pulse episodes to see what uh, what people have been watching. Just don't read the comments. Just no. Well, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, I, I have occasionally. I read the comments on the final episode, which was quite a lot of people saying they should have put the touch over the end when the Golden Age of Cybertron happens, and it's like, yeah, fair, yeah, they probably that's a very they, fair point. they probably blew their budget on like using that at the end of season two, so they couldn't do it, and season three rather, so they couldn't do it again. Um, but uh, yeah, so some, sometimes read the comments, but mostly yes, don't read the comments. Yeah, and another thing that that we might do, I'm going to say might here, potentially jeopardising what we're actually going to do later, Andy, as it were. But um, I'm really interested in checking out the beginning of the of the Japanese Takara lineage of G1, as in post, well, like season four onwards. So what we might do, time depending, and quite frankly, depending where we can source the episodes from, is also another factor here. I want to delve into at least like sort of the first three maybe to five episodes of headmasters japan as it were just to kind of see the what if scenario of what would have happened i've i've watched a decent chunk of headmasters before but not for over a decade so i've got virtually no memory of anything regarding it be it we watch it dubbed or sub because if you want to find clips of that star tv asia english dub man is that a trip and that's funny in and of itself. Andy, maybe we should just do a watch along of one of those episodes if we could somehow make it work. That's yeah. a different debate entirely. But but yeah, hopefully, depending how things go, we might try and at least do the first few episodes of Headmasters just to kind of give an idea as to the direction it went in Japan as like a sort of a nice little counterpoint to the rebirth. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely we're, we're kicking a few ideas about um, as 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 we could say, Optimus Prime will return. Like this podcast will return. <laughs> um, so don't don't cry. Um, and uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll 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 see. You know, maybe maybe we'll we'll take a break. Maybe we'll 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 just jump straight into it. But yeah, we'll 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 probably do some things. Uh, but yeah, before that, we will we will wrap up our Transformers G One discussion, and uh, you know wrap wrap it all up with with a bow nicely. Um, un- un- unlike the series, <laughs> we, we will we will leave no no kind of like hanging threads. Um, and Andy, then we can move on. We will see. <laughs> we will see. <laughs> And then we'll and then we'll reuse that on another podcast in two months. Apparently. There you go, there you go. But uh, but folks, there we go. Thank you very much for listening and or watching. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you do, or you have rather, why not tell a friend? We'd really appreciate it. Like I say, we've now done all of Transformers G1, including the movie. You can go into the archives right now on the likes of Apple, Spotify, wherever you've downloaded this, make sure you tell a friend. We would really appreciate it if you would like to do that. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we've got a Twitter and Instagram. You can search for us under the name Starscreams Pod. And of course, if you've been watching on YouTube, we'd really appreciate appreciate it if you would like to hit the thumbs up button or if you want to subscribe to the channel, we really appreciate that 
as well. Plus, depending on what we do in video form, you might want to make sure you keep an eye on the YouTube channel in case we have any more visual-based episodes, bonus episodes, that is, to bring you. Andy, before we wrap up this, uh, this kind of landmark ep- episode of the podcast for us in terms of actually getting this far, any other thoughts you would like to convey to folks listening today? I'm kind of upset that they called Scorponok an oversized shopping centre. I just want to <laughs> just want to put that out there. So that's not really. And, and and I would also like to point out, like Oliver Hall, if you're if you're listening to this, I am sort of jealous about your Scorponok that you had when you were like seven. So just so you know. Um, the, fact, the fact you've name-checked him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what are the chances that he's still like, oh, I'm going to listen to this Transformers podcast with this this guy called Andy? Like, he, he, stranger things have happened. This this could end up in like your your Silla Black moment of reuniters after all these decades. Um, so you know, we we see maybe that'll be an episode of the podcast. I don't know. Maybe we can get him on to talk about Transformers. Oh, my word. But on that note, folks, thank you very much for listening and or watching. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, we've been Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until our epilogue of sorts in two weeks' time, take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye, everyone.